the motorbike, electric bike. What's up, Rick? Welcome, Rick. That, that, that's a, who is that? Is that Lakeisha? <laughs> yes, Lakeisha. yes, yes. You won't believe this. She, she oh came on Lord. this. Oh my Al's God. been dragging me around for a few months now. No, it's been awesome. <laughs> I'm so glad to be on the Oh man, so. Rick! All Guys, good. this guy, this guy, this guy ran the exclusive brands business uh, out of China and uh, um, and uh, knows a lot about own brand stuff. But uh, nice to see you here, man. Good to yeah. see you too. It's good to be here. I think you're going to make me blush. So stop it. We got the Best Buy <laughs> Mafia in the house. That's right. You do. <laughs> you do. And we, you know what? The Best Buy Mafia is one of the strongest networks, at least in my career. Gotta love that. Well, it says a lot how uh, affectionate you all are for each other when, when Best Buy uh, alumni jump in here. That's true. I mean, e even with regards to Cal, I mean, and that's saying something. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Thank you. No, what we were right, Tyler. You know what? So I, nice. I can go on about how you're the most brilliant guy, one of the most brilliant guys I know, but you know what? This group doesn't want to hear that. They already no know that. No shit. It, it, it could help a little bit sometimes, but never mind. Well, you know what? <laughs> Next time you need that kind of reinforcement, just remember I'll call you in. you've got yeah. a lifeline here. Dial a friend. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so, Rick, th th this your first time at Tech News Around the World? No, I've audited a few times, okay. but I've not, I've not been pulled up on, yeah, just on hang, stage hang, here. Hang. Audited. Our, it's like it's turning into a Scientology thing. That's, I kind of like it. We could, Perhaps. we could, we could bring in some, some of that stuff. I get, where's the sound? Here we go. Where is, he's, he's from, he's from LA though. He's like you, man. Yeah. Miller. He's got a lot of you in him. He's like LA he, guy. You don't he's have talking. an audit like Matt Damon, uh, janitor learning advanced calculus audit. Rick, you don't have a daughter that might be dating Anthony, do you? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Thank God. My daughter, just... my daughter moved to Chicago. That's a whole other story. <laughs> I was born. I was born in Chicago. Oh, gee, it's getting, <laughs> oh, it's getting sticky <laughs> in here. Quiet. Oh uh -oh. boy. Little, uh -oh. uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, we're, yeah, we're all one degree of separation in here. So the uh, we're going to cover. Well, so Rick, if you if you don't know, or for anyone in the room who doesn't know. We're going to start off as we have been lately. It's still a work in progress, believe it or not, many months later, because honestly, we're not married to any one format other than the end goal of revolutionizing this concept of the news and trying to consistently push ourselves to figure out how do we stretch. And we've taken great advantage of this incredible new innovation of a platform called Social Audio, a.k.a. Clubhouse. And the key is the fact that we're able to get together in a, a, a colorful cast of folks from all over the planet, geographically and professionally, and that this room has a unique format and that we have anyone in the audience is allowed to jump up on stage and share a headline from their part of the world. And that's what part of the secret sauce. The other part of the secret sauce is that plus sign in the bottom right-hand corner of your app if you're using the Clubhouse native app. And that allows us to invite in people who know what's really going on behind these headlines in a way that these the journalists writing these headlines don't even know. And that's honestly the, the super secret sauce of doing the news through this incredible, cool social audio format, as you will soon see. So off the top, we'll start with the biggest. I happen to have this very trusty, heavy, clever 
tool that allows me to see all the biggest headlines as determined by how many publications are covering the story and how many people are tweeting the stories. <laughs> so, for example, the biggest news right now is uh, after England's defeat in Euro 2020, Boris Johnson and others condemn racist abuse of players on social media with some calling for tougher action by platforms. That's the headline from the New York Times. The Guardian has a similar headline. Boris Johnson condemns appalling racist abuse of English by uh, racist abuse of England players. CNBC says Facebook and Twitter under fire after England soccer player faces racial abuse online. Forbes says racist abuse targeted at black England players denounced by UK's Boris Johnson, FA and Prince William. BBC says Euro 2020, why abuse remains rife on social media. Politico says UK police investigate racist abuse of England's football players uh, after Euro 2020 loss. And Financial Times says England manager blasts unforgivable racist abuse of footballers. Sky News, Reuters, The Independent, The Telegraph, ITV, BBC Sport, Daily Mirror, Mashable Vice, and a whole bunch of others that I don't have time to even read, all doing the same. And then we've got the tweets. And you've got Boris Johnson tweeting out that this England team deserves to be lauded as heroes not racially abused on social media. Those responsible for this appalling abuse should be ashamed of themselves. You've got the Metropolitan Police in the UK saying we are aware of a number of offensive and racist social media comments being directed towards footballers following the Euro 2020 final. This abuse is totally unacceptable. It will not be tolerated and will be investigated. And Pretty Patel says, I am disgusted that England players who have given so much for our country this summer have been subject to vile racist abuse on social media. It has no place in our country, and I back the police to hold those responsible. And then you've got Sasha Baron Cohen jumping in. Hey, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey. Facebook and Twitter are spreading racist attacks on these black athletes. Online racism leads to real-world hate crimes. It's time to rid racism from your platforms once and for all. Stop hate for profit. Hashtag stop hate for profit. And you've got even the official English Twitter account, and Sadiq Khan, who, I, if I recall correctly, was, was or is the mayor of London. Uh, yeah, still mayor of London. Still yeah. is. And then you've got uh, the the official mayor of London account. You've got uh, thousands of other people tweeting about this issue. So I will, you know, this is more of a UK thing. Cal, can you add a little culture, maybe Carl or who, one of the UK Geeks. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it just might be that, that Britain is still racist. I mean, you know, it's, it might not just be the social media. OK, well, let's make it simple as that. Let's go on to the next article. <laughs> no, but the clearly there's this uh, the point that it can be shared on social media is what's upsetting people that such uh, unsavory views can be said on and publicly dis not only display displayed, but uh yeah shared without is there is there a penalty for making racist comments on social media in the uk no no you just get kicked off the platform by the platform ah but uh, to sasha baron's cohen point is maybe not as much as they should be like they're still they're still on i guess they need this this gets back to the the age old uh Issue that we the moderation, back. right? The, the moderation mo of the of the right. platforms, right? We're yeah. back to that. 
discussion and uh, you know where do you draw the line and what do you do and right. you know when's enough you know and then we're, we're uh, crossing the line of free speech no so check this just out giving opinions it's more interesting than it first appears because here's an interest normally normally when we read stories like this they go something like this some group is being silenced for saying something and we are upset at the social media platforms for silencing us because we used a hashtag that the platform said was um, hate speech. And it wasn't. I didn't do hate speech. I just used the hashtag of, you know, uh, free Palestine. And we got we were all, you know, I got banned or blocked. All my friends got banned and blocked. And everyone's getting banned and blocked for, you know, doing something that really wasn't um, hate speech. That's normally what happens when we read these headlines. And those people are upset that their tweets got removed or, or social media posts, I should say, were removed. And it, the, let's look at the process. It's the algorithm sees something. Well, no, the first process is other people start flagging your social media post because they don't like the hashtag you use. And then that's training the algorithm that, ah, What's common amongst all of these uh, flaggings that are happening in the past hour or two? Oh, the, everyone's flagging posts that are using this particular hashtag. Okay, this hashtag might be offensive. So let's remove all instances of any posts that contain this hashtag. So yours might get removed, even if correctly, you didn't say anything offensive, but you used a hashtag. And that hashtag is being used by other people who did say offensive things. And that's why their content got flagged. And the hashtag is the common thing. And that's why your content's getting removed. Now, that's, and that takes time for that algorithm to, you know, it sandboxes your thing until a human can come in and make a more human decision as to which of these, con, you know, posts are offensive and aren't and go through all of them one by one and turn, you know. And if it's a sensitive issue where some people are being outright hate speech and some aren't and then it requires uh, a more elevated nuanced decision higher up the food chain then the lawyers and the pr department got to get in they got to schedule a meeting that we got to schedule the meeting for tomorrow because tony's in on vacation in baruba and next thing you know it's you know 48 hours later and they make the decision okay everyone who used the hashtag we're going to put your content back that's normally what happens this is the opposite the complete opposite of that this is humans saying you've got a whole bunch of content that should be removed that you haven't that's completely entirely opposite now we're complaining that the removal isn't happening quickly enough and in the a case that i just laid out for you it was content was removed and isn't being put back fast enough and you get people pissed off and so now you see this incredible incredibly impossible tightrope that these uh, social media platforms have to deal with in terms of walking the tightrope of erring on the side of removing too little or too much. And it's incredibly, in 2021, it's difficult. Uh, I'm optimistic they will continue to improve. I'm optimistic that they intend well. I don't honestly perceive a genuine... Um, bad behavior on the part of the social media networks generally when it comes to these things and yeah i mean Tyler, it's, it's difficult. I, go ahead yeah please do 
Yeah, can I just break it down into three components? Sure. One is, so absolutely, there there is no more need for time to do the rigor because the 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 AI being used for sentiment analysis is very sophisticated. So I kind of come down on Sasha's side of the of the fence on this mm-hmm. because that 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 is available. Second is UI. There's nothing keeping the big social platforms, and I would throw in a bunch of the gaming platforms because there's a lot of bullying that goes on in the gaming platforms. Um, there's nothing keeping them from testing out some new UI to give users kind of immediate, uh, you know, feedback when they're posting something of questionable, um, you know, a question against the content moderation rule or, or the, the content rules, which is another thing. And then thirdly, you know, we're not talking about webmasters in the 90s here, right? That kind of, that we're talking about, you know, they could, they could easily, and I'm sure they have, ne- you know, almost like network ops type of real-time um, content moderation uh, capabilities to just flag things immediately and really not just, not just, you know, have the AI catch it, but make those decisions rapidly or immediately, you know? So I, I, I think that there is still a lot in Sasha's position of profiteering for hatred because it does drive, it drives the engagement. I mean, so yeah, huh. that's where I fall on the fence, but if you, if you kind of separate into those, those three domains, it, it kind of helps to, to, to analyze it, I think. Right. But if, if somebody is saying something truly offensive that the majority of people would find offensive, it, the, the, the flagging of that content will happen in near real time and that con that singular piece of content will get removed, generally, um, but I guess not fast enough for some folks. And then for some types of offensive behavior, when it applies to racism specifically, um, I guess they need to optimize the algorithms because clearly we're getting an in- indication just looking at the sheer number of posts, a sheer number of articles that are being written. And I read only a very small percentage of the headlines that, you know, and it seemed like a lot. Well, it is, there's a ton. So um, I guess the takeaway is when it comes to racism, they should perhaps err on the side of caution because now you've got dozens of the biggest publications in the world, you know, pointing the finger at you. And especially when it comes to um, racism around high profile events perhaps is a, is a kind of a toxic combination um, because high profile events like Euro 2020, if you use the hashtag Euro 2020, your content is going to be seen by, I don't know, a hundred times more people than normal. So that's where the, this interesting um, multiplier effect comes in where normally mundane everyday run-of-the-mill racism is seen by x number of people when you leverage it with a very very high profile event like euro 2020 where using the hashtag euro 2020 exposes your tweet to yeah maybe even a thousand times more people than normal now your racism is now seen um in by to a much bigger audience and that's where twitter needs to um have their a game on uh, i i'm not picking on twitter necessarily but um yeah tyler you know and contextually i think you make a good point i think there's like probably three or four in the uk just to take the uk thing here there's probably not even three or four 
two or three events like this, major things that will happen in a year, right? Uh, and they're predictable. They, they, this, this whole thing was so predictable. Like, I mean, we knew that the euphoria towards this thing, as especially when it got closer and closer as England still being, you know, from the UK perspective, I'm only talking about the UK, each country has their own issue. You know, there, there are French fans and French racism and, and you know, uh, and, and probably some in Denmark and, and, you know, some in Italy, et cetera. But just when you look at this from the UK perspective, if you're living in the UK, you almost like you could predict this was going to happen. Something like this was going to happen because the build up to it. And then there's a background to these three or four black players that they've had history on this uh, with people jeering at them and making monkey sounds. And, you know, I mean, the, 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 this is this is just British soccer predictability, right, with this hooliganism. So in that kind of context, maybe there is a little bit of like, you know, a committee sits down at Twitter or something and says, hey, this big event's coming on. Right. What's our protocol here? Right. I mean, there's got to be that much responsibility. Just just quickly on the sorry, I was driving before, so I couldn't really respond properly. So you, you get obviously you get banned by the platform. So that doesn't really do much because I can sit down and spin up a thousand different accounts if I want to be anonymous that aren't really linked to me. Um, and I don't even need more than one email address for it. Um, so that's not really effective until we have until we remove the anonymity, until we have this sort of self-sovereign identity that everybody you know loves to talk about in these rooms um, that where you can identify someone where you are then accountable for what you say I mean in the UK we do have um, sort of a, a hate crime unit as such for, for digital hate crime sort of harassment bullying um, racism that kind of thing and they handle you know several thousand um, reports a year but out of that I think it's somewhere between one and three percent actually amount to anything and actually go to the courts so it's a very 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 low percentage of, of these crimes that are commit that are reported for online hate that actually anything happens about them so it's and, and even then the UK justice system is so unbelievably slow in dealing with anything like this years and years these things drag on for um, and then nothing really happens so yeah it'll be interesting to see now once the technology of being able because as it is right now the default is <clears throat> that countries and platforms don't insist on um full thorough uh identity checks of individuals with some rare exceptions um south korea does for social networks and has for a long time and it would be real that i would encourage a journalist to look at that because we are now get we now have i mean let's not even beat around the bush here um stripe who is the world's biggest fintech and by a lot, actually, because Klarna is ostensibly number two and Stripe is probably at least double in valuation of a hundred billion dollar pre, you know, still not yet publicly traded. Not, you know, it's not on the major markets and it's now a headline in the past uh, 48 hours is that they did. Uh, they're starting to hire people that you would hire if you were going to IPO. So it looks like they're going to IPO. And Stripe figured out the incredible difficult problem of enabling payments for websites. If you build a website and you think, ah, you know what I want to do on this website? I want everyone on this website to be able to accept credit card payments. Then you almost 
certainly will use Stripe to do that. And when Clubhouse wanted to allow people to pay money to each other via tip jars, it was a very simple decision to, to use Stripe for that because Stripe is, uh, as as the Clubhouse CEO said himself in the most recent town hall, they are, you know, have the highest levels of security and um, actually also about the simplest to integrate with. And um, yeah, it's a lovely process. They make everything incredibly super simple and incredibly super secure. And that's why they are so incredibly super successful. And it's a very difficult thing to build a super easy, super secure financial layer that enables all of the users of an app to make all of the payments and everything. So they, Stripe, just added their new second act, their their second chapter as a company. And they're still being rather secretive about it. I mean, not they're not trying to be secretive about it. They're just not being very public about it yet which is the ability to identify very accurately, uh, concretely, what's the word I'm looking for, like double, triple verified, every user uh, officially verify the the identity of every user of an app. And why would you want to do that? Well, you might want to do that um, if, a, well, <laughs> it's a really interesting thought, but um some countries like South Korea have made this uh, a requirement. And so the South Korean social media companies did have to go through this, the headache of doing that, maybe perhaps ran kind of randomly or manually. Twitter was doing it manually. And that's how they had the blue check mark, uh, which you can see on my Twitter account. I was manually approved back when they were manually doing it. The problem is manually doesn't scale to, you know, hundreds of millions of users, you know. And certainly not billions of users like in Facebook's case. So how to uh, automate the process? Well, guess what? Stripe figured it out again. They figured out the way to verify algorithmically in a very secure way, as they are known to do, the, the prove the identities of individuals uh, on platforms and, through, and do it very, very, very simply. So what would normally take you Oh, my God, an incredible team to accomplish an unimaginably difficult technical task is now uh, an incredibly simple API call. So that's huge. That has incredible implications because now that that is available to everybody. Very simply, governments might start demanding that you use it. In, for example, you look at all of the articles that were written and with Boris Johnson and Pity Patel and the, the police and Interpol and, you know, everybody and their brother and the New York Times and the Guardian and CNBC and Forbes and BBC and Politico. And next thing you know, the country says, you know what, Twitter, you need to verify everybody. You know what, by the way, you know what kind of apps are very, very likely to come under the scrutiny of com countries in very soon if they start to continue to get very popular? Social audio apps. Because the countries are very concerned in live conversations, and understandably so. I, I don't blame a country who would say, hey, you know what, that's great, you want to come into our country, but we're going to require that you know the identities of all these people. And you know what, the app might want it themselves. Here's why. Because as you see right now in India, and the biggest story when we met seven hours ago, 
was the fact that Twitter is now complying with India to the best of their ability. And part of complying is doing a monthly report that shows all of the content that you removed. The big question is, and hey, journalist, you want to do a fantastic story? You want to be the hotshot in the uh, investigative journalism club in June, July 2021? Get your hands on one of those monthly compliance reports. They're called grievance reports uh, in India and find out if the usernames are included from the tech companies. Facebook did a compliance report. Twitter just did one in the past 48 hours. WhatsApp did one publicly. And TikTok is saying they're happy to do one if India would be so gracious as to let TikTok come back in. The question is, they are giving this report where they show what content was algorithmically removed so that the government can see, ah, okay, we see you're algorithmically removing any content with, that uses the hashtag resign Modi as per our instructions and all the hashtags that we told you to remove and any keywords that we told you to automatically ban, you're banning. Great. Thank you so much, Facebook, for doing that for us. That's lovely. Good job. Keep it going. Oh, and by the way, next month, remove any mentions of these five new words that we no longer want to see anymore on our social media. Okay, boss, no problem. Boss, we'll do that, boss. Now the question is, my journalistic friends, are, are usernames included in those reports? Is India saying, hey, we actually want to know, was that that crazy guy Cal Patel spouting that nonsense on Facebook or on Twitter using that hashtag, by the way? And do you happen to have his address? And do you happen to have his other uh, identifiable information. You have his email. Oh, great. Yeah, go ahead and send us his email because we would like to have a word with that interesting individual, right? And, so, his, and his five aliases, right? right. His five. Right, yeah. right. And it looks like he's using a circus clown photo or a crypto, uh, What Jesse, what are those called? The crypto punk, you know, uh, <laughs> photo. punk. And look at, well, that's what they're called, CryptoPunks, the ones he's using there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got, you know, Samir. Is that really a photo? It's kind of hard to tell. The point is, is they, of course, will start requiring, um, if, it's, if that technology isn't known to exist today by the governments, Stripe's new amazing technology of uh, verifying users. As soon as the governments are aware how simple it will be to use Stripe to identify everybody, they're going to start requiring apps to use it, as Korea already did. And that will be very interesting. And I believe, they're. by the way, I, I was making the point that these social audio apps might be the first where, no, you can, you better believe the social audio apps are receiving hundreds, if not thousands of requests per day from governments saying, um, can you please tell us more about this Monica Jasuja individual? Because she said something at, you know, five minutes past noon on Wednesday uh, that, you know, something about Modi that we didn't like. How do we know that they are doing that? Because they're doing all of the other com apps that are being forced to comply with all of the stuff that people are saying that they don't like. And because there was a headline about two weeks ago which no doubt Cal will remember, Monica, I know Cheryl will remember, that the Indian intelligence agencies, of which there are several, are all up inside of Clubhouse. So what, what are they listening for exactly? 
And if when they hear things that you're not allowed to say on Twitter, that would automatically be removed on Twitter and Facebook because the governments have told those platforms to automatically remove anyone who uses the talks about resign Modi. And here you have a room dedicated to resign Modi. And now all of a sudden they want to know everyone who was in that room. And now you understand, you know, what's ahead of us now that the cat is kind of being let out of the bag with this Stripe uh, identity verification. But then again, you likely will avoid the scenario that we started off with, which is this uh, England um, and Boris Johnson and Peter Patel and everybody talking about all the racism that's coming out on the social media. You might not have so much of that once, you know, Facebook and the social platforms um, are able to identify. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have a funny photo. In fact, that, that won't matter at all. Um, and it doesn't mean you can't use a funny name. In fact, you could change your name to, you know, uh, Goosebumps 5000 and have a crazy unicorn photo. The app knows who you are. That's all the government cares about. You know, that this, you know, this account at this time, whatever the account's name is, doesn't matter. We know who the individual is. We know their birth date. We know their social security number, their address, their bank account, and five other things. Because Stripe does know your bank account, by the way. So that's where it gets very interesting. The users themselves within the app might not know who Gooseberry 5000 is, but the app does and the government does. And you know that they do. And that will stop Gooseberry 5000 from spouting nonsense, very likely. It'll be very interesting to see what that world looks like. And if you're a journalist interested in this topic, as I think someone should be, go look in Korea and see how their social media behaves differently than other social medias to give us a preview as to what that world will look like. Chris, or you're just applauding? Uh, I was going to say, you know, it's never worked in their advantage to verify fake users because their user numbers were higher as you had more of those secondary accounts. And then for me, I personally think um, Trump being deplatformed is probably going to be the real step towards this because I think you're going to have a lot of people saying this is what Trump said and um, it's not actually what he said. And they're going to just have to let them on. And then they're going to use this as a segue to say, hey, look, we're going to now start verifying everybody who uses this platform. So that's just my two cents. I really hope that the likes of Clubhouse and Social Audio doesn't get too bundled in with at least the ones that aren't offering transcriptions bundled in with the movements that are happening with Twitter and Facebook. Because there's a clear line in the sand between the two of them. If I post something on onto Facebook... Until it gets removed, you know, moderators comment, it's there. It's it's permanent, as it were. Whereas the you know the the rubbish I might spew at any given point is transient. It come and it's gone, and it might be offensive, it might be stupid, it, it, whatever. But it's there and it's kind of gone, um, and it doesn't have a lasting effect. It, the effect is is there in that room. Now, if you talk about the the responsibility of Clubhouse, if you've got a reoccurring room where dangerous or racist things are happening, then that's, that's the persistence. That club is the persistence factor that you have to remove, that your responsibility is to remove it. Um, but the things that are said in it, de definitely, I mean, I'm really hoping that they, it doesn't get bundled in with the same concept as writing a tweet, because it's fundamentally different. One is ethereal, well, one even, is, and then one I, is persistent. But I have to push back uh, for a second, which is, shouldn't there be some level of regulation? So, like, you know, when you think about things like uh, you're in a movie theater and somebody yells fire, 
that is actually regulated, that is actually a crime, right? At least in, in most developed countries. I was going to say, like, you know, like we've seen a lot of these rooms and, and maybe some of you have heard me talk about it where they're saying uh, things. And even if there's so I was in a room the other night, someone said that if you get COVID, uh, a COVID vaccine when you're pregnant, uh, you lose the, the baby. And the mom was like, oh, I'm not going to go. Or the pregnant woman was like, I'm not going to go get a vaccine. That one person in that one moment was affected. Right. And so shouldn't they be policing that in some sense? I guess maybe, maybe not. It's a slippery slope. But I think that at some level, there is going to be some level of policing that will need to happen. with this Definitely policing, just not treated as exactly the same, is my meaning. They need to be looked at separately and handled separately, not such a... Yeah, apologies for my dog. Oh, no worries. Yeah, yeah I no, think that, there are different that, risks. You know, I, I think uh, Carl has a point, and I think uh, Danish has a, a absolutely big point. Like, they, you know, they, just from my experience here in, in six months, there's, there's different risks. You know, voice creates so much trust so much quicker, right? And uh, um, and so therefore, it has a risk of um, you know people convincing people uh, of things you know much quicker, right, and much uh, more effectively. And that can have you know both sides of it. One, you can influence and share a good idea or a or a you know a, a helpful thing much quicker and much faster and much more helpfully. And and we like to think this room we like to share you know uh, insights and news and and things. So. But on, on the other side of that, you know, you get the scammers and you can get people to trust you to create amazingly elaborate scams, um, which, uh, you know, a while back, you know, you had uh, um, people like Tyler and, uh, and Jason, you know, trying to expose some of them. But, uh, you know, they can't do it for the platform. So there, there, I think there has to be, I don't know what it would be, but there has to be some, some level on that. It's a very different platform, though. I, I do agree with Carl there. But I, I do see the risk of, of people saying one thing on this, and maybe that's that's where also there's a there's a responsibility of the moderation of the room as well. But it's it's a very powerful platform. This one. So how about? And I will say that. Go ahead, Don. I'm sorry, Tyler. I was just going to say that yesterday, I saw the complete opposite of that, which was the conversation about healthcare workers in Myanmar. And I will, you know, I will say that since oh, then, I've just gone down this rabbit hole on, on that, and and uh, actually, I don't know how much I can. And this is the interesting thing, right? Like even though I just said that we need some policing, even I'm worried about talking about what we're doing about this. And I was, and I'll just say it because again, this is synchronous. And so hopefully no one of influence is listening, but they probably are. We're actually working right now. Uh, we're having some conversations with somebody that was mentioned yesterday. Uh, not that somebody that was in the room, but somebody that was mentioned yesterday about providing healthcare services by get through telehealth in Myanmar. And actually there are ways to do it. And, and, and this was literally a conversation that happened in a clubhouse room on Technos Around the World in, that, in this club uh, yesterday. And we wouldn't have even heard about it had Tina not brought it up. And I know that Tyler was asking a lot of questions about it. But one of the challenges is if you think about th this is that slippery slope. Like I if if we started regulating and policing it and now, you know, the the platforms want to be in in every country like india they can't say no to india right but if there's an actual crisis going on in kashmir and i monica this is just an example i'm not specifically talking about kashmir but you know the you know there's a crisis going on in kashmir uh, where right now they have access to care issues uh and we wanted to you know organize and provide something for that um uh, we wouldn't be able to talk about it in india if it was being policed and so it's just this it's a really difficult 
quite challenging issue. And I think Clubhouse is a great platform because to Carl's point, it's harder to like cut people off while it's actually happening. Right. And so it's, it's just a very complex issue. But, you know, just wanted to bring up that like that, that it, there's a pro and a con. Yeah, well, here let's take, go ahead and imagine one of the worst case scenarios, which is when you come into the U.S. as a non-U.S. citizen, they now somewhat regularly ask for your Twitter account and Facebook account and look at it to see if you're saying things that they feel are um, potentially, you know, concerning. Uh, about you know you being having negative sentiments about the U.S. and by the way the U.S. is not the only place doing this. So Thailand, for example, uh, does ask now for your social media accounts uh, on the form that you fill out when you enter Thailand. And if they think if they see any reason to, they will take a minute and use their computer and look up your accounts and see what you're saying. And if you say something that is uh, they are sensitive to, and Thais are quite sensitive to what people say about Thailand. Um, some countries are not. Uh, some countries are. Thailand is. And by the way, uh, on the subject of the, um, uh, you know, uh, royalty, the royal family, um, to say that they're sensitive is the biggest understatement I can imagine. And so now... What happens when these, so this is why I say let's paint the worst scenario uh, possible, which is the, they will eventually, once governments start collecting lots of data about lots of people, about what's being said on social medias, um, you will have a profile of, you know, if you say something negative about a country on Twitter, they'll make note of that. And then next time you try to enter that country, you're declined or worse yet, you're accepted and taken right to prison. Let, let's hope you're declined at the border. Uh, that would be the nice scenario in that case. So I'm never leaving the home. Probably four or five years ago when I was an administrator of a university in the U.S., I had international students who had been accepted to the university on their way to the United States and denied entry for that very reason. And that was several years ago. So I'm, yeah, I'm quite sure that those databases are already <laughs> being established, but, but I think that um, it's just a matter of scale, particularly you know, as more and more countries sign on to this type of technology and the governments become more sophisticated. You're assuming a single country under this scenario. Like when you're looking at like geopolitical influence and we're looking at like social credit scores, I think one of the recent things was that China's extending those to overseas Chinese people and even people that are not currently in uh, uh, Chinese uh, uh, like you know, citizenship. It's literally to other countries because they're trying to export this as like Alibaba, you know, global system. So what that means is that it's not just going to be singular countries. It's going to be all the aligned countries with them. Another point, essentially, is the border control things starts to become more of a realm of geopolitical influence. If you can have the ranking systems for this being automated, being able to have this uh, things, everything we say here on Clubhouse goes through Shanghai servers, I should say. Um, and so when you look at this as the longer term impact, this could become a very, very, like, very nuanced and very influential type kind of thing. One more thing I want to just throw out there before or closing is, you know, 100 years ago, we didn't even really have borders between countries, like, this was something that was actually considered to be such a human rights abuse when it's been the prelude to World War One. They said, oh, no, 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 this is just temporary, guys. We're going to, you know, get rid of this. 
uh, after World War II, they, uh, Germany spent eight years trying to say, can we just dissolve national borders because this is the most ridiculous thing ever. Um, we have a system It took about 30, 40 years to erect, and then we kept it. We can get rid of it if we really wanted to. It's just that it's not even on the topic of conversation field thinks they're willing to entertain. But I would argue from a human rights perspective alone, it'd be worth seriously considering when you're starting to look at immigration controls. Um, oh, so Twitter, there's an update now. Twitter deletes 1,000 tweets amid racist abuse of English players. I'm curious how many accounts were suspended other than the tweets being deleted. This is from Evening Standard in the UK. They delete 1,000 tweets and condemns uh, abhorrent racist abuse after England Euro's defeat. Twitter say they deleted more than 1,000 tweets and condemned abhorrent racist abuse directed at England players after this. And the Football Association said it was appalled by the abuse in a statement. The FA said that social media this, the abhorrent racist uh, abuse last night has absolutely no place on Twitter. But they've, they're not saying they banned any accounts. They're saying they've just banned, uh, removed over 1,000 tweets. In the past 24 hours, through a combination of machine learning-based automation and human review, we've swiftly removed over 1,000 tweets and permanently suspended a number of accounts for violating our rules the vast majority of which were detected ourselves proactively using technology, not human flagging. Interesting comment. We will continue to take action when we identify any tweets or accounts that violate our policies. We have proactively engaged and continue to collaborate with our partners across the football community to identify ways to tackle this issue, no pun intended, um, collectively, and we'll continue to play our part in curbing this unacceptable behavior both online and offline facebook which owns instagram said it tries to remove harmful content as quickly as possible and encouraged people to use the tools it offers to block abuse here's the quote no one should have to experience race abuse anywhere and we don't want it on instagram a facebook company spokesperson said we quickly removed comments and accounts directing abuse at england footballers last night and will continue to take action uh, against those who break our rules. In addition to our work to remove this content, we encourage all players to turn on hidden words, a tool which means no one has to see abuse in their comments or DMs. So you could, because offense is not a binary thing. So some things that offend one person don't offend another. And it's a gradient. It's a, it's a, it's again, not binary. It's not black and white. It's, some words are offensive to some and everyone's offended by different stuff. So if you want to stop seeing things that are offensive to you, just tell us what those words are and we'll make sure you never see those words again. Interesting that they bring that up. No one thing will fix this challenge overnight, but we're committed to keeping our community safe from abuse is the final word there. There you go. So um, the other big headlines today, we just covered the first and it took 42 minutes. And the other big headline right now is the second biggest, based on volume, is Microsoft has agreed to acquire a security intelligence company called Risk IQ. A source says Microsoft will pay over half a billion dollars in cash for the San Francisco company. And um, makes sense. They've got vulnerabilities that have been pointed out even recently. And um, they good good on them. 
that they are acquiring uh, security intelligence companies uh, like RiskIQ to help them deal with that. And they're incredibly valuable. That is a booming, booming space, which was one of the headlines we covered when we met seven hours ago, as we meet twice a day each weekday, click on the title to see our schedule. And when we met earlier, seven hours ago, uh, it was about the point that um, security tech companies, uh, of which Tel Aviv is the global hub, that um, those companies are absolutely booming in 2021. And it's, that's not a surprise. And it's not a coincidence that it's also, uh, you know, hacks are also booming. They, they sort of go hand in hand. So the third biggest headline at the moment is that the FCC approves Amazon's request to use what are called radar sensors to sense motion and enable contactless sleep tracing functionalities. And lots of people are tweeting, and there's, this is being covered by lots of people like Insider and Slashgear and PC Mag and Tom's Guide and Tech Radar and others. And the issue essentially is that Amazon has won permission to monitor your sleep using radar, uh, which is the headline from uh, Business Insider. And the bullet points are that the FCC gave Amazon permission to make a device that can remotely monitor people's sleep. The device will use radar to track a person's sleep and your movements. So your movement will trigger the radar uh, on. And um, Insider reported in January that Amazon was working on a sleep apnea device. And so Amazon wins this. The FCC approval document published Friday said Amazon's description of its proposed device includes radar sensors to enable touchless control of device features and functions, which, by the way, will ostensibly allow you to make, do controls with hand gestures uh, in the air. And it also so you could turn off your waving your hand rather than saying something. It also said the device would be stationary and Amazon plans to use the radar capability of capturing motion in a three-dimensional space to enable contactless sleep tracing functionalities. And trick question, everybody, why is Amazon interested in your sleep? Any, any guess? Tyler, have you caught the button on your mic, mate? Uh -huh. Say again? Have you caught the button on your mic? You, you, your volume is just cut in half. Ah. Or is that just for me? I think it's just you. No, no, I got two. No, no, no. It has cut, cut in half a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Also... Okay, hang on. I'll fix it. Apologies, I think buddy. the answer is juicy, juicy data, Tyler. This is like the Jeopardy prize where it's impossible to lose. <laughs> that's right. Good. And, th and then also on, on that, uh, um, we have a winner. Three, four. Uh, I heard somebody a couple say months back. Phrase. <laughs> the answer. <laughs> A couple months back, Amazon also said that they are using um, acoustics and listening to heartbeats to actually identify the different people in the house. <laughs> All sorts of fun. Um, just throwing this out there, essentially, I think uh, an earlier press, uh, preceding technology to this before Amazon's was uh, Google's uh, APT lab. Um, and they were doing some work with like uh, Soli, I think was the name of the project. What's interesting is that particular lab, I think they might shut down by now with things. So that was like one of their main projects. And they're looking at like, you know, wireless gestures for like uh, um, uh, like for the watches and stuff. But then they were really focused on alarm clocks for a little while as a form factor. But uh, for like you know, the wireless thing, and they're saying, hey, we can detect sleep with this. Um, what's interesting is that lab was specifically started by a bunch of ex-DARPA alums. So I'm kind of curious if there's like particularly military applications to this. I don't know. I think it might just be literally that 
you know, we've had access to radio frequencies and do all sorts of cool stuff for decades. It's just we haven't had civilian sector equivalents for a while. So it, it might just be literally, uh, hey, can you guys don't want to do anything fun with this. We've had it for forever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to kind of uh, give a little bit more of a context on the sleep side. So what they're doing is wireless actigraphy is what it's called. And actigraphy is, as, as was mentioned earlier, just like how that's, much you're that's tossing. That's one of my banned words on my banned Twitter list, by the way, but go ahead. <laughs> well, you can't go to certain countries now. That's right. Uh, uh, you can't go to Denmark, I guess. But I was going to say, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, it, actigraphy is 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 uh, really exciting in, in some senses, but very uh, difficult to get real data from. What is interesting, I was just looking through the, the actual uh, approach that they're taking. So they're taking actigraphy plus... Uh, they're adding to that sound. And as you guys may know, with, with uh, sound, you know, uh, voice AI and other types of uh, audio-based AI uh, tools that are out there, we're now able to get a lot more information than we used to be able to at very high, much higher fidelity. And so they're combining actigraphy with the sound, like if you're snoring and the way you're snoring, if you're doing something called periodic breathing, which is if you've ever heard somebody snore, they go snoring lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter, and then they stop breathing for a little bit. And that's called periodic breathing. And they actually like mentioned that, which is very interesting. And so I think this is actually aimed towards a true, again, maybe I'm just naive, but it does seem like it's actually based towards a true sleep apnea testing. And with enough data, you could be able to see if somebody is moving towards sleep apnea. And with sleep apnea being one of the most underdiagnosed diseases out there, uh, especially obstructive sleep apnea in adults, uh, this is another foray, like another way for these companies to get in and and get early diagnosis and then maybe they'll be competing with cpap.com and selling cpaps i mean who knows but at the end of the day there's always like a a real not nefarious but real profit driven thought process the data of course itself but i'm really impressed by their level of detail on this and maybe i should stop being so impressed by the fact that they're actually thinking about the medical side but kind of fascinating is there enough contribution, Dr. Donish? and what i'd like to say at a macro strategic level you look at um, uh, what Amazon is trying to do overall, and that is um, they are disrupting healthcare um, at the pharmaceutical level, at the distribution level. And um, if they don't collect um, health data, and arguably they're already behind the game if you look at Apple, um, then um, they're going to be at a competitive disadvantage down uh, further down the line in the future. And um, that's one possible, I would say, business uh, strategy uh, point of view. I will say that compared to Apple, uh, well, some of you may have heard my opinions about how little, in my opinion, they've actually achieved in healthcare. Amazon is going about it very differently, Cami. To your point, they're going about it from a multimodal perspective where they're actually going into care delivery. They're actually going into medicine delivery. And now they're entering health and integrating that within the whole journey. That's what's super exciting to your point. I just want to make sure that Apple, in terms of the health and wearables, to me, has not really uh, met its incredible potential promise. And just looking at the level of clinical thought process in this specific one, Apple has had the ability to do actigraphy, but then they didn't match it with all the different modalities. I've just been very impressed with the way Amazon's going about it in a much more comprehensive way. If I also may add the other um, business strategy point of view that uh, one could adopt as well is that um, 
if Amazon knows about your health and knows um, it can, it ultimately it's about sales. It's not just in the healthcare area, but it, if it knows when you're sleeping or when you're, if you're an insomniac, um, it can optimize um, its algorithms um, on recommendations on et cetera accordingly as well. So I like where you're again, going, Cammy. You're and you're right. Yeah. Because when people have had insufficient sleep, they're more likely to take risky behaviors and make risky purchases. So this might be the right time to promote that uh, extravagant purchase <laughs> that you've been looking at. Actually. Hey, or combine it with the Tinder data and then you can know if essentially if the app worked or not. I mean, this is like amazing. Just let's aggregate all the well, data even together. Even more so. And guys, also, take it out of the bedroom. Well, also, take it out of the bedroom. Got, Move it into your living room. Move it into yes, every room. But it, they've got your food data because they are your new supermarket. And now they've got your sleep data and your Cammy's right. And this, when you start combining those things, and they've got the speaker in your house with Alexa, which, by the way, can tell the pattern of your toilet usage at night, which can indicate lots of different things as well. And of combining, you know, how good of sleep quality you're getting. Now, how long will it be before they start insisting that their Amazon factory industrial athletes uh, use this technology so they can tell what kind of sleep you've been having. And so when you injure yourself at work, mm. they can say, oh, actually you were underslept. You didn't sleep the required eight hours. That's why you injured yourself. Go to the uh. Amazon. Into the Amazon so box. Guys, if you look at it. I, I will say it. also, this also kind of gets to the point to me of like, I think we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, which is of all the tech companies, which one is most likely, forget about healthcare prov provision. To be honest, the provider game is not that that exciting uh the, the real money is in the insurance game if anybody's you know i can tweet this out later but insurance companies have doubled their profits in the last three years covid was good for business and this uh is my point because the government covered all the COVID. Yeah. and so now amazon can actually get into the you mentioned workers comp but i actually think in general health general insurance well. so it, dr danish my point is they're already doing the insurance around uh, their employees and it will get that's true the point that they're now might in for you know say you know you need to have this uh sleep detection thing because we're going to calculate your insurance on a daily basis based on the amount of um sleep that you've had it's it's interesting one security expert and then i'll hand it to you david sorry to interrupt you that uh named chris vickery who's a data security expert a data breach hunter he calls himself says the con this is uh, ripe for reckless uh abuse uh, because it, a hacker, for instance, if they're able to get into this vice, would not only know that you're home, but precisely the times that you're asleep. That's not something you would ever want somebody to ever have access to um, that who has ill intent. What would they steal? Amazon already has everything. No. Well, and remember, so, they, they also own a pharmacy. Right. Danish, and I, I apologize if it's Danish and not Danish. I, Danish. I, I, it's Danish, no worries. Danish, thank you, sir, uh, or doctor. <laughs> hey, so an un, uh, an untreated sleep apnea case, though, uh, increases your, your cardiac uh, risk, though. So, that, you know, listening in and hearing snoring means that you already are on your path to uh, – I mean, please, please inform the community on that in terms of, you know, diagnosis versus treatment. Yeah. So uh, sleep apnea, as you were mentioning, uh, is probably one of the biggest hidden crises that we have right now in the U.S., uh, as many may know. Uh, we call them Missouri mediums, but 
you know, the average uh, U.S. Uh, uh, adult is closer to obese than to normal weight. And so, uh, you know, we have this epidemic by their 40s and 50s, a significant portion of American adults actually develop either uh, mild or mild to moderate sleep apnea. Having that for like, if you have a loved one that is snoring, it's worth an evaluation because untreated sleep apnea from f- for five to 10 years, usually around 10 years, you start having other downstream issues like plaques in your coronary arteries and uh, issues with your kidneys. And it's just a multi-system issue. And it's largely because uh, to give you some context of what sleep apnea actually is, you're actually choking in your sleep at night. And a lot of people are choking maybe 60 to 100 times an hour. Uh, so that gives you a sense of how bad it gets. For, and that's moderate sleep apnea. That's not even sleep, severe sleep apnea. So, you know, and choking, what I mean is hypopnea. Apnea, probably, you know, one to two every hour. So it, it's it's pretty bad when people have it. And a lot of people have it. So, you know, uh, everybody knows a friend who the husband and wife or, or the spouses, sorry, uh, they, speak, they sleep in separate rooms uh, because of the snoring. To David, your point, Sleep apnea is the precursor to a significant portion of heart disease that exists in America, which is the number one killer. So, uh, yeah, it's and if you are an insurer. Again, I'm, I'm going to get away from like the, the clinical side and get into the juicy, juicy data. But beyond that, juicy, juicy dollars. And really, as, as you know, people don't realize how much of an insurance company. So the, the real truth is when you're uh, when you have more than 500 employees in the U.S., we have this weird, weird system called self-funded health insurance. And so you actually fund yourself. So when Cal was at Best Buy, even though it may say Aetna or Cigna on his card, the actual, every time Cal went to the doctor, that was actually paid directly from Best Buy's balance sheet. That is actually how it works in the U.S. It's kind of the weirdest. And there are some people out there like uh, uh, Gurley and other people, what's his name, uh, from, I don't, can't remember his first name, from Benchmark. But they actually are completely convinced. Bill Gurley, yeah. Bill Gurley, yeah who are completely obsessed with the fact that employer-sponsored health insurance is what's ruined healthcare in America. But it's, it's, it's largely the employers actually paying for their balance sheet every time. And if you work for a company that has, again, more than 500 employees, there's like a 90% chance that you have self-funded health insurance. And so, uh, you know, when we're saying Amazon is paying is an insurance company for its employees, they are legitimately, if you as an employee of Amazon go to the emergency room, they're paying the bill out of pocket. Like they're not the employee, but Amazon. And so they're a true health insurance company already. Uh, for, for, and they're one of the largest employers. Walmart, people, have, people may have heard of this, but Walmart had such a big problem with this that they started flying people across the country to get- Thank you. So hopefully that's helpful. Uh, you know, that, that, so sleep apnea is legitimately a huge business. That's why I actually believe that's why Google bought Fitbit uh, was, was go, to go after sleep apnea. And uh, you know, we're seeing the same thing with Amazon. And Amazon's taking a very interesting approach, which is completely sort of ambient approach versus you wearing a watch or you wearing uh, something else, because uh, that's sort of the way Amazon does it. They're sneaky about it. So you could pre-screen your employees to make sure to see if they're going to be a medical issue for you before you even and Sam, because you already have the data on everyone, on all the citizens with stuff. So you can say, oh, that person's going to be a medical risk for me. I just make sure. I, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. That would be discrimination. I'm looking for secondary third order effects. It was the algorithm that figured it out for me. I, I, I didn't happen to know, Congressman, that it was having to discriminate against everyone that could be a medical liability for me. And so, so you can play the conspiracy music at this point or not, if you want. But the thing is, um, if you think about it, what's the biggest problem with all these voice assistants? The camera on the unit, right? Now they've changed to l- laser. So 
laser for people, they'll think, oh yeah, it's for health reasons, right? It's great. It's for bedroom. Yes. But imagine if they expand this to say, okay, now we're going to assess how you're doing. What if you fall? And like, this is amazing for seniors. It's amazing. I love it. Right. But I'm just saying from a, from a, a privacy standpoint, their LIDAR is not LIDAR here, but I'm just saying LIDAR, for instance, is very good at uh, the, basically getting a quick image of the person, right? They, they could actually, people don't understand that. You could actually create a full image of a person through laser, right? Um, so if you move this type of device to every single room in the house, saying that it's for health reasons, imagine the amount of data that these devices can capture. Uh, it's not for health only, it's for everything else. And that's great. That's the best part for Amazon. I love it for healthcare because from a senior standpoint, it's great. I mean, what Dr. Donesh was saying is in terms of sleep apnea, that's great. Oh, by the way, snoring does not mean you have sleep apnea, but it's one of the possible signs of sleep apnea. So don't go and get panicky. It's You have to have these apneic events, events where you stop breathing uh, during the night. That's where you go and you can't breathe for a bit and then you start breathe, uh, breathing again. That's the key. But uh, going forward, also, if you think about seniors inside of a house, if they fall on the ground and let's say this laser finds them on the ground, and that's an alert system that we send off to a loved one or someone caregiver. So those things are key, for, at least in my space. Uh, but from a privacy standpoint, there's, there will be some questions asked because just because you get rid of a camera per se, that doesn't mean that you're not still being monitored. Um, so this is something that people will have to think about going down the road. But this is a great idea. In response quickly to something Chris Chris said, um, where you were talking, Chris, about uh, you know the, the 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 reasons why Amazon would want this, what they can use this for, and whatnot, a much more conspiratorial and, and darker um, conception is the fact that you would be able to monitor and track your employees and know to what degree you were pushing them too far and burning out. So you could potentially keep the pressure and the stress and the workload on your employees at an optimal level to either just stop them from burning out and 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 algorithmically decide at what point they turn to unions or you could figure out <laughs> how or you could figure out at what point of stress and burnout your employees are and get rid of them in an altruistic and less public and union involving manner before they get to that <laughs> point and and it, you we laugh but seriously when you're talking about hundreds of thousands of employees that that makes a huge difference in your in your bank Florina, balance so i want to come on, on, hold on. We, we had a bunch of ladies all trying to jump in florina and then uh anna marie and then the, the, the guys can jump back in but florina and then anna marie Thanks, Tyler. So let's say I'm an Amazon employee and I have an Alexa in every room in my house. Um, if I'm not actively using Alexa or, or giving her an order, giving it an order, um, and I turn those Alexas off uh, in the interim, is there any data around the Alexa still collecting data uh, or still, you know, still collecting data, even if they're quote unquote turned off? Does anybody know? What do you mean by turned off? So there's a there's a button I believe at the top of the Alexa. We now the microphone. Quote unquote, turn it off, and then it, there's a red light that shows that it's actually not listening. That, that's my understanding. But does it still listen in? I mean, I mean the way trusting it. You're trusting it. That's the big thing about this. Is like, oh yeah, when I give the command, it does a thing. It's like 
part of the reasons why why the the physical hardware disconnect that you used to have with some of these older devices versus a oh yeah i sent the signal and whoops there was a bug it just didn't happen to work and we haven't fixed it for the last three years you know like those sorts of things become more common their thing is psychologically people saying oh that button basically turns that off once you get people used to that behavior even if you monitor you feel everything using it um, and then you train people to say, oh, wait, that button only turns it off for a short period of time. Like the, the Apple devices, normally it's like you turn off the Wi-Fi. It's like, oh, it's only for 24 hours. Well, when you turn that, uh, tap the device, it turned it off for an hour or two. And we didn't bother to tell you what the software update. You know, it's one of these, like once people get people into the habit, the nature of consent changes over time in order to be what is the maximum amount of things you can get away with. So it's, it, it, it's, it's a process. Chris, the consent is made as vague as possible as across as many different privacy policies, across as many different initiatives as possible. So you have the consent for the wake word, which is, well, you know, we have a privacy policy and consent form and information about what data we gather when you use a wake word. So that is when we take the audio of what you've said and we send it off and we take the recordings and anything in the background and we send it off to external servers. And that's like one bunch of privacy policies and, and, and that you have to understand as a user and whatnot. But then you have sort of the, the privacy policies around the neighborhood initiative for the for the wi-fi chain and then you have the ones that are around the we were talking recently about um the one that they're testing i, I don't know if it came out in the u.s but where it will listen for break-ins and it will listen for people falling, falling down the stairs in the background. And all of these are different triggers that trigger these different things. And almost all of them are opt-out instead of opt-in. So when you're turning off that microphone, whether or not that turns off one feature or 12 features changes all the time, depending on where you are, what jurisdiction you're in, you know, what country that you're in, and... Um, and what you've accepted and what you haven't accepted. But it's done on purpose. It's made, it's obfuscated like this to make it confusing on purpose. I don't know if we really want to go down this pathway for a conversation, but just throwing out this out there for me, a future, a future kind of conversation title with things of, like, is it even possible to kill off a corporation like this? Like, I'm not saying, like, you know, should we or things? I'm just saying, is it even possible past a certain point? And is there a threat threshold where you, the feedback mechanisms just don't even work? Because these are the sorts of features that we see as technologists, and they're very obvious. And from what I can see, the enforcement mechanisms are relatively weak. We're going to have another round here with the five bills of antitrust, I'm told by the, the, the representatives and the you know, stars and stripes forever crowd that essentially is going to be the ultimate reckoning. I'm very skeptical of that. And the thing is, is if that fails to occur, we do not currently have enough of a political system to basically enforce a whole lot of things. So I'm just wondering, like, is there an in-game plan of, like, what happens if we can't bring these things back in? And, yeah, just throwing it out there with maybe a future topic. Or so I have a little bit of hope on that, that the antitrust is going to start to ramp up because Lena Khan is, is chairing it, and she has been speaking to this for a long time. So I think the, the, uh, the sh there, there is a, a, a real opportunity to check, uh, quote-unquote, cloud company in you know going right into even you know this kind of healthcare med space in terms of antitrust so we'll we can only hope um anna marie you were waiting hey yeah um i was just gonna say to dr danish's point um the way amazon is approaching this is 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 different completely i think than apple um they've been working uh, have a team that has grown by like tenfold specifically around um, AWS services for healthcare and connected healthcare and all the other devices that can plug into their existing ecosystem, including any sort of new rollout they have on um, acoustic monitoring. 
But as he was talking about the sleep apnea issue, which I uh, know to be a, a huge issue given my past experience in the sensor space, um, this has been available and used widely in the consumer world around baby monitoring. And I was thinking about it today because um, Outlet, the little sock baby monitoring company, is going uh, public with their SPAC this week at a, a $1.4 billion valuation. And I know this because the co-founder is my uh, chief operating officer of, of my med tech company. But um, this is a space that is it, it, not even a thought is has been previously given to um, what happens to that data, how that data is collected. And um, again, terms of service vary, you know, by jurisdiction. But, you know, it's it's quite commonplace to think like, well, of course, I would want to know if my baby stops breathing during the night, right, or has some sort of an incident. Um, and it's a combination of not just monitors that, in this case, the, they wear the, the pulse ox monitor on the foot, but, you know, it, co it works in tandem with cameras that are so good that in the dead of night, you know, they can notice any sort of change in, in breathing. And now... So I just wanted to sort of share that, you know, there's a there's a pathway here where we've, we've certainly considered a certain level of acceptability for monitoring, you know, little babies and children to make sure they're safe. So getting that mindset for grownups probably isn't that much of a stretch. Thanks for letting me yeah. share that. Um, I, want, I wanted to go, comment. Go ahead, Alex. Like what, I just want to bring up a point. I'll turn it to you that Johan, are we set for next week to do security room? Because this topic is so relevant because <laughs> um, the, one, the yeah. one time that we did the, the, it, it was the, wildly the... successful. So we, let's, let's make it a new weekly thing. Yeah, the thing is that uh, I, I have now assembled the team uh, with, with a lot of knowledge people that you have around mm -hmm. you in the form of James from, from MasterCard together with a couple of other Australians uh, that seems knowledgeable. And uh, we have Carl as well that I've asked. I've not had any, let's see if he is online. He's not. Uh, but we need to set a date. We need to set okay. a day and a time slot that okay. suits everyone. Okay. So let's take that, you and me and Carl. Okay, okay. Right, Aslak, go ahead. And by the way, Aslak, what's going on? Uh, after you make your point, I have a question for you, but go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say that one thing, I was working at Mindler before, and I remember when I was doing stuff there that one of the big things, not only sleep apnea, but it's also one big kind of indicator is uh, mental health when it comes to your sleep. And mental health also um, is, is, of course, one of the reasons people uh, are not or, or take leave of absence. Uh, and especially, you know, you're talk I think someone talked, it was Dr. Danish that said that Sleep apnea is kind of one big problem, but I would also say, obviously, that mental health is one of the things that is going to hit uh, a lot of people's realities after COVID is kind of winding down. Probably not yet, I think, because there's so many uh, variants uh, coming out and we're getting new doses and stuff like that. But I just wanted to put that forward. And I think uh, what's more interesting, I think, is to try to figure out some of those root causes and any tech that's going into kind of predictive, the predictive space is more interesting to me. So if it's um, being obese or overweight that causes sleep apnea, 
there might be some other underlying reasons why people uh, do not sleep well. That I think is super interesting. And I think there is some interesting work going out, some algorithms looking at, for instance, social media feeds, how people are not doing so well, even though they don't, might not really understand that. So those areas are particularly interesting for me, not just kind of, okay, yes, I have sleep apnea, then what? Well, I have to go down and wait. Well, I know that already. So um, yeah, that, that's more interesting, like behavior change stuff. What, and what is the latest with um, the new variations in Sweden? Oh, well, there's the, the I just flew to Finland uh-huh. to meet my, my family. Yep. And going to Finland, you know, I, I landed and I said, um, you know, I'm Finnish citizen. And so I don't, I don't have to be tested, right? Because I called the, the border control uh-huh. before I left the day before. And they said, no, you know, just come in. You're Finnish. Yep. So no big deal. Um, and they said, no, you go test yourself. What if I have two vaccine doses? Doesn't matter. Just go test yourself. So they're very very rigid about it in Finland and they're freaking out because of the Russians who went to the, the soccer games um, have basically carried the Delta variant into Finland uh-huh. in Sweden. I, I came back a week later and it was basically like, there was nothing. There was a voluntary booth somewhere where I could do a self test, but it was so basically in you know... both airports. You could do a free self test. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. But there, yep. as of right now, there is some Delta in Finland, and as of right now, there's not a notably large amount. Of- no, no, no. There are no. They have the they, the Deltas here, but they seem to be, you know, taking it uh, as lightly as always uh-huh. here in Sweden, which is kind of quite quite ridiculous. My my whole family was were kind of aghast of how how lightly we're taking everything here in Sweden, as usually we do in Sweden. Yep. Just kind of you know, it's like a breeze. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tyler, did you see today that there were? Um, people in Bangkok who tested positive for both Alpha and Delta? No. So the Alpha Delta? Yeah. 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 I mean, Pfizer's coming out with the new, um, the third dose. Uh, what country was it? I don't remember. Uh, Israel. Israel. But, right. Yeah. Just so, for the immunocompromised, compromise though. Yeah. Just for the compromise. But I think that's going to be the new normal coming out with boosters and stuff like that. They're also changing their formula. They're changing their uh, uh, the mRNA formulation. Apparently, that's what the new article came out. Okay. Yeah. Will they get six G now? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, let's not let's not go down there. So before, let me just make sure we've covered the biggest headlines. There's um, for those who care about Samsung Galaxy's phones. Uh, there's now been a, a really interesting leak. No ordinary leak. Uh, first of all, their big event will be August 11th, and now somebody, uh, Evan Blast notably, took the liberty of doing very realistic full 3D uh, AR renderings of the all of the devices that are coming out on August 11th based on all of the schematics uh, of the 2D photos and schematics, he was able to make full 3D renderings of of these. And we've reached a new era of leaking where you now can see full sort of augmented reality, you know, 3D um, renderings of these upcoming devices that are not out yet, but it's based on data. So they're very accurate. And you, I just maybe the marketing department can use these. Like if they're yeah. going ahead of the marketing job, they're basically <laughs> doing that for them. That, that's what's happening is the consumer tools are starting to be 
the gap between the consumer tools and the professional tools is forever narrowing. And we're now getting to the point where consumer tools can make professional level um, renderings of these things. So he did just that and I tweeted them out so you can see them. And the most notable thing is this new Samsung Galaxy. Uh, they have several devices coming out, but they are foldable phones. So it's a, it looks like an iPhone, although you can open it up to be a double wide screen, almost like a small tablet, uh, which drone operators will love. But, um, and people who binge watch um, Netflix um, between their Uber rides, I guess will love that as well. A lot of people will love it, no doubt. But um, that's one of the headlines. And there's an article from the New York Times that says, a look at Facebook's long-term struggles with courting creators as it falls behind YouTube, TikTok, and other rivals in this creator battle, which is going to, it's just starting, honestly, but it's going to be a very, very real thing in the very near future. It's really just started. And we were talking about this when we met seven hours ago about Pinterest was in the news with how they are now um, positioning themselves to attract creators on Pinterest. Now that Pinterest is getting into the e-commerce game themselves. Yes, Pinterest is very much getting into the e-commerce and uh, because they have to. Why do they have to? Because people are gonna, creators who spend the time of posting stuff on different apps are gonna do it where they currently you, you already realize people use the apps where they get the most followers, the most likes, the most, you know, engagement. And now it's turning into e-commerce. So people will be using the apps where they make the most money. And so Pinterest needs to get into e-commerce because if they don't, people will stop using it because they're going to start realizing, oh, these apps are all about making money now. I make money from my Twitter followers. I can make money from my TikTok followers. I make money from my Instagram followers. I don't make diddly squat from my Pinterest followers. Uh, that app can quickly go in the delete bin, right? Goodbye, Pinterest. It's been fun. So Pinterest understands that. So they have now adopted e-commerce just like every, every social media app will do, including Tinder. Anybody who has social interactions will become commerce. And in the case of Tinder, people will be buying virtual gifts and physical gifts for each other before, during, and after their dates, no doubt, because of the, it's just easy money. The, the, the difficulty of enabling this has gone down so that it's no longer a question of time and effort and energy to enable this. It's become relatively simple to enable e-commerce on these apps, and it's incredibly lucrative to do this. So why, of course, they're going to do it. It's free money. So, um, and more importantly, it's now uh, the bare minimum as a social app that if you want users to use your app, they better be making money from it. That's sort of the point that Pinterest now finds themselves in. And that's what the article is from the New York Times, that it's looking at Facebook's struggle of courting creators as it falls behind YouTube and TikTok, in part because YouTube was really one of the first to start paying their creators. And that started in 2007, I want to say August of 2007 and I know this because I was the very first person to ever be paid on YouTube why was I how can I say that so confidently well because they told me and how why did they tell me 
because we had the same investor from Sequoia Capital who was their lead investor and was our lead investor. And we were pivoting our company. And the idea was, why don't we make lots of videos for YouTube from our main investor, who's also their main investor. Great idea, Roloff, thank you for that. And he sold it to Google. And the, the idea that YouTube itself was in a very similar position that Clubhouse is in today which is there's lots of brands who want to engage with Clubhouse. And YouTube has lots and lots and lots and lots of brands that wanted to engage with YouTube. So, and they were contacting YouTube saying, hey, we are um, uh, Meredith Publishing, which is, uh, they publish Better Homes and Gardens and you know, tons of you know magazines. And we want to engage, could we uh, engage with some of these creators? And that's how we got connected. And so we started making home baking videos and all kinds of videos, makeup tutorial videos, guitar playing videos. Um, and we started becoming a content farm for YouTube because we were being paid. We were making tens of thousands of videos a week for, exclusively for YouTube at their direction. They were telling us which videos to make because those were the videos that they had sponsors to sponsor them, right? And so they had to create a payment mechanism, a pay, paid creator and a monetized ability in our account. And by the way, it was the same exact split that they still use today. The 45-55 revenue split is still precisely the same that started with the very first content creator, namely myself. It's still in use today. All content creators get the same revenue split, although it's suspected that now that TikTok is getting into this game in a big way, and all the other apps, Instagram, Twitter, and all of them that we now might see. And my buddy, Jason, who's always has very accurate predictions on these things said in his most recent podcast, the All In Podcast, he thinks that YouTube will now have to give a better cut to the YouTube creators. And I think he's right. I think they probably will because these other apps are giving a much better cut to their creators. Like Twitter is like a 70, they're giving 70% to the creators and they keep 30% and TikTok is probably doing 80% and here Facebook's still back in the, you know, roughly 50% split. So um, it's going to be very interesting. YouTube had a huge head start of, you know, a decade on nearly everybody in this regard. And there's tons of people making millions of dollars on YouTube and yeah, they have a huge head start, but um the other, every app is going to get into this in a big way. Facebook is struggling with this and, uh, and no, but no doubt they're going to uh, give it a very sincere effort. And that's what that headline is all about. So I'm going to tweet that out from the New York times for everyone who wants to get into that one. Um, and then there's speaking of TikTok, the wall street journal says they now have sources that TikTok put its us IPO plans on hold um after meeting with chinese regulators which asked the company to address security issues it's kind of an ever ongoing drama related to um the dd ipo who didn't listen to the authorities and went ahead and did their ipo and then we found out something seven hours ago which our friend david helped to softly confirm which is there was a three new apps who like TikTok all decided to cancel their IPO plans. Chinese tech companies that have, because of Didi's cancellation of their IPO, oh no, because Didi didn't cancel their IPO, went to New York, did their IPO, and then were quickly punished rather extensively 
by having uh, all new user signups, you know, we're no users are no longer able to sign up. The Google and Apple apps were removed. Uh, Ali, uh, both the Ali uh, Alibaba platform and the WeChat app, all of the apps in there got removed, and the 25 other apps that Didi has in their portfolio were all removed. Which, by the way, one of the headlines today was that. Uh, Didi said, that's one bridge too far. That's where you're starting to get like really aggressive towards us, like re removing all of our 25 apps in China. That's kind of like, you're not, you're no longer just worried about our data. You're clearly trying to hurt us. That's an interesting development that happened today. And then, but- They really want to kill that thing. Yeah, well, that's, that's a new recent development in the past 24 hours, which is the removal of these 25 other apps that Didi has. That smells of, you know, wanting to punish Didi. So, but back to the point that we realized seven hours ago, which is really interesting, that of these three new apps that have canceled their IPO plans, there's something really interesting about one of them that is similar to Didi, which is that it has, uh, its main investor is Masa from SoftBank. And why is that interesting? Because I proposed the theory that the only reason Didi decided to do a US IPO and rushed to do a US IPO even uh, against the wishes of um, the Chinese authorities is because SoftBank wanted to get their money out. And because SoftBank was a big investor in Alibaba and Alibaba's other company and financial, their IPO plans got squashed. So um, shortly after the IPO plans for Alibaba got squashed and financial in January, nearly days later, Didi and this other app, the name of which escapes me, both nearly simultaneously announced they now have plans to go IPO in New York. And one of them made it out and did it. The other now has stopped both backed by SoftBank. Interesting coincidence. They both plan announced plans in the in the immediate aftermath of Ant Financial, Alibaba's FinTech app got squashed. Now you've got two other SoftBank apps that simultaneously, Im nearly immediately announced they're gonna go IPO in New York. Didi made it out of the gate, even against China's uh, uh, strong you know, insistence they not do it. And this other app, somebody will remind me the name, Cheryl no doubt has it handy. And then uh, they did. They didn't make it out in the same time that Didi did, and now they're stuck in China. And someone, hey, tech journalist, there's a story for you. Go interview Masayoshi at SoftBank and ask him how he feels about Didi IPOing in New York, and about this other app that SoftBank invested in that didn't make it out to New York in time as they had planned to do. And they're clearly not going because now they see what happens when you go to New York against. Uh, you know, the, the China's kind of uh, pre preference that you don't. Hey, Actually, hey, over the weekend, um, oh, I just wanted oh, to mention Maria. one thing. Go ahead, Maria. Tyler, I, had, uh, I sent you, uh, I think, this uh, Twitter thread, uh, thread over the weekend um, of this um, updated law that says that every app, actually, every business that has yep. over a million users yes. mu uh, must go through this um, uh, cybersecurity check. Yep. That's one thing. And so That's brand I think, new. Um, yeah, that was news. That was like broke over the weekend or yesterday that China has this new Yes, and, and there's a Bloomberg article connected to exactly. it that says precisely what, obviously, you've already said a week ago, that there will be no more 
Chinese companies IPOing in the U.S. for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, by, yeah. by the way, thank you. Uh, hey, I don't, hey, I don't hey, know what the by saying it's a, a bridge too far. Like, there's just no way for any company to win this. The vested interest in China in maintaining their position and not backing down is so strong. It seems strange to me that anyone would actually try and challenge them, particularly after seeing you know, the Hong Kong riots and stuff. I don't understand why these companies would think that they would challenge the, the uh, Chinese government and the government wouldn't just come back with everything they had. Because, so well, I, I don't really understand. I'll, okay, I'll explain why. Because Didi has a bit of a super strong lead in the delivery game of both humans and products. And so it, that's a valuable asset to China to have that company doing that and they could replace it punish it to the degree that it gets killed and another one takes its place but in the interim um you'll have a sort of awkwardness uh, i the question is would the government feel that dd has learned its lesson and cooperate now henceforward with uh, uh, the government and play friendly and that's sort of the big question if, do they trust dd to now fall in line and or not because if they, if they question if dd is going to play friendly then they will kill it and replace it with a dom- new domestic competitor but if they feel dd will play friendly then it's already got scale it, it's being used millions of times a day by everybody you might as well let it do its thing it's very useful very utilized but it, that that's sort of the point was it was interesting to see. We weren't sure which of those was going to be the case. We didn't know, is the, are they really going to try and kill it? And then, of course, they would need to replace it. Or are they going to let it exist because it has some utility value to China? And, well, now with the, these new 25 apps that they're going after, that's pretty heavy punishment. It's looking like they might actually be trying to kill it. So to be, to be continued. Hey, hey Tyler, Mohan here. Hey, what is the major uh, benefit or whatever for the Chinese government not to let these guys IPO? I, I just don't get it. it. It's not totally clear and understood yet, but the, the consistent narrative out of China is that they don't want any potential data uh, going into the U.S. That seems to be, and unbelievably, and it seems authentic that they are very concerned about this. And we, uh, to give you an example of why we think this is, the case, it's precisely as Maria said, which is any new company who thinks they want to IPO outside of China must do, if they have more than a million users, was that one of the, the kind of defining um, prerequisites, Maria, if I remember correctly? If you have more than a million users worth of data, yes. then you must go through this data security screening process before you can list outside of China. In which, yeah, and if you think about it, yeah. if you think about it, any Chinese company has a million users because right. they're such a huge country. Correct. So it's like any, literally, any app that you launch, right. by day seven, you have a million users. And they've, so they've sent no, no, But what, what I still don't get is whatever the review is that they are doing, what would be the point of it? I mean, what, what is it that becomes a bigger issue yeah. just because a company IPO, other than the you know, SEC filings and those sorts of things. Yeah. It's Machiavellian. Which... It's Machiavellian. It's a Machiavellian approach to trade. That's all. Or a Machiavellian approach for data or a Machiavellian approach for Far East against Far West. So, unless you would disagree more. So your question essentially is what are they worried about, right? 
Yeah, right. they exactly. Yeah. I mean, what, what are they worried about? It, it I, seems, based on their statements and based on this new policy, that they're worried about data. Yeah, but what kind of data becomes accessible to the rest of the world that wasn't accessible? I mean, why does the IPO change that? That's the point I don't get. Uh, maybe there's exactly my point. Regulation. Well, because China itself, if you do business in China, forces you to keep all of that data in China. Like Tesla, for example, got in a really sticky situation recently where Tesla said, uh, no more, you have to turn off all the cameras on your cars, which by the way, there's like nine cameras on the car. And they're worried that those cameras could be used to collect some data. And then test, and that's, that's what empowers Tesla's self-driving cars. If Tesla says, there's no way we're turning off these cameras. That's our secret sauce. And no, th those sorts of things I understand, yeah. Tyler, like even in the good old days when, uh, what was that? The, the blue... The, the 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 gadget people used to carry that was a Canadian so it, company. It, it, it's being able to control. Mm -hmm. the, it's being able yeah. to control yeah. capital ownership. Blackberry, yeah. It's being able to it's being able to control capital ownership for individuals and and and, and firms such as uh, uh, such as SoftBank etc. That are major shareholders, not allowing them an exit, not allowing yeah. them an exit on it's, their terms. It's totally on the Chinese terms. It's totally possible that. Um, they have other reasons, you know, political reasons, financial reasons and whatnot of why they don't want these companies to do this. But what they're saying, which is not necessarily true, is that it's about data. And there, there seem to be, that, you know, what they're saying out loud and publicly is that uh, they're very concerned about data usage of their companies outside of their borders. And or what I, I'm saying that that's that sort of thing is meaningful even pre-IPO. So it's not like a new thing that comes into the picture just because of the IPO. I mean, BlackBerry's case, India told BlackBerry, hey, you are exactly. maintaining information in your servers abroad, but there are people doing sleazy things with your uh, software system. And so if you want to continue to maintain your data outside India, you better give us the keys to break into such people's communication if we suspect that they are doing something terroristic or whatever. But that had nothing to do with IPO per se. Independent of IPO, this issue about data being misused or whatever exists. Why does the IPO process itself in any significant way change that? It might. So that's you know, what I would be significant would honestly be the fact that there would be significant shareholders that were not Chinese or Chinese controlled. There are actually a lot of countries that restrict who can hold uh, shares uh, in some of them, any company and some of them particular companies. So, I mean, it's an interesting point, but it could be, honestly, they just don't want significant overseas shareholders, um, particularly maybe in the U.S., having vested interest in companies that are that are significant or at least wealthy in their country. Alexandra, that's true of the U.S. as well as India. India forever has said, you know, you like IBM got out originally in 78 because India and also Coca-Cola, by the way, when India said foreign ownership cannot exceed 49 percent, things like that have been around forever. I mean, even the U.S. now, I think if uh, communications companies or uh, TV and such, I think, has some such restriction. But I don't know whether that by itself needs to... You see, to a certain extent, sir, I, 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 
I'm I'm a believer and a supporter of that. Where you know foreign investors to, and especially when we talk about Africa, okay. But but let's take it from a different perspective, right? When huge and companies, huge investors from abroad come into a, a, a nation and they plant and bring billions and billions of dollars and, and they set foot in, and 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 they set up an economy and they decide to leave whenever they want to leave. That that does huge damage to an economy. But in certain instances like this, it's kind of like saying, okay, well you come on your terms, but you leave on our terms. And this is a major. I mean, this is a super economy. This is a superpower of the world. So, in this particular instance, for example, with DD, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, very valid point that you're making. I, I, I don't agree with this entire process, especially because much of the data that they're talking about is actually being housed by companies on their own soil, right? Such as the same thing that would to, happen in the United States. To his point, so it, just, yeah, but to, let me let, but, let me just make clear because what he's implying for, and not saying is they're lying. They're not interested in the data. They're stopping this for some other reason because it doesn't make sense to claim you're stopping this on the merits of the data. Yeah, and you know, you know, Tyler, I actually support China in certain things as well. So I'm I'll very clearly say in this case, yeah. I believe they are 100% liars. I know you're you're agreeing with them. I just want everyone to understand what what's being said because you're kind of not you're both not being very American about it. I'm just trying to translate to the Americans on stage. Go ahead. <laughs> After the Alaska summit went bad with things, um, China and USA look like they're unlinking their economies in preparation for war. I mean, like, and literally now part of that an separation American. means... There is an American yeah. approach. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't, isn't it true that the stock that we can buy in Chinese companies is only stock and not the actual shares in the correct. company? That is correct. That it's not technically actually shares. You're buying an it's instrument... Right. It gives you essentially identical um, rights minus the voting rights, essentially. Well, there's that. Tyler, and just... also, I think what I wonder about is what is the added value of American capital coming into Chinese companies if anyway China owns the American debt? So it's kind of like uh, what is the, you know, what would American investors bring in uh, to, uh, to those companies if, if they own them? There's a very matter. strong... A, There's a very strong historical precedent for this that's not normally covered in these discussions with things. If you look at the history of the Eight Nation Alliance and the Boxer Rebellion and how China's Chris, historical Chris, Chris, markets have been, man, come on. in the short version, essentially, that's that's shaping a lot of central policy and how uh, how they're seeing themselves. And many of the policies of how the bank responds is very much bay with the idea of old old historical ideas in mind. It's very much for us. It's old history for them. It's basically very much in how they shape their policies today. But then you can I ask quickly why 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 does there have to be a reason for this? As in, like we're trying to figure out, oh well, maybe it's the data. It's almost an altruistic reason. We want to protect, or we want to protect our IPO. But as we've discussed, nothing really changes with that. Why can it not just be the fact that there's this really good reason that everybody's scared about another country, them over there taking our data? I apologise for the background noise. Um, them over there taking our data. Oh, all we'll have to do is review all of your internal policies and your APIs and, and, and your procedures and everything else, and then we'll vet you. It, it's just a way in to, to the companies. Like, it's another door into each company um, where they have to go to the CCP with their hands sort of with the begging bowl saying, please, 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 can we do this? Um, but only by your merit, and here's all of our data and processes, and tell us what we can and can't do. I mean, does it have to be anything more than that? Yeah. Um, it's we already agreed on that. Probably. That's not the, that's not the point. Yeah. There's that. But, but I think um, the one thing, though, is remember that you get access as a significant shareholder over 5% of any company. You get more than just, it's not just the data about individual users. You get business information. 
section. You get to understand the financial situation and the books of the company. And they're required to provide you with certain, you know, regular right. amounts of information. You get to participate in shareholder votes and things like that. So, I mean, if you have a single share, you get to participate in shareholder votes. But you have a, there's significant information that comes with being a shareholder of a company. That is that is the same in a foreign market? No. no Alexandra, you said something about they get access to the data of the individual users who gets access to what data no, no they, don't, they don't yeah what are you saying no I, no what i'm saying is uh, the concern seems to be that the that they're they're concerned about the data of users or um that like your cybersecurity, right they want the data of the users to be protected but it may be not just the data well, of well, the what does that got to do with ipo hold on they're concerned more about the data of the company itself how businesses operate where money goes you know, who's getting paid for what, that stuff is in the books. And that is what you get when you are at least a 5% shareholder. So it may be that they don't want, uh, you know, like they don't want um, anyone, especially like maybe U.S. holders to have that sort of information. But remember, they still want you to go to the Hong Kong exchange. It's not like they don't want you to go public or have an exit. What they want is for you not to go public or have an exit other than the Hong Kong exchange. And that might be because of the restrictions on who can trade there. Well, there's that. Let's finalize yes, but this. It's, but it's also a, about a big, big, uh, investors getting their yeah. money out of China as to in the case of why the soft bank investments may have been aiming for New York and not wanting to do Hong Kong. Um, if, you, but if you have large to add on. investments by Japanese investors in who want to get their money out of China in this, and then that's why they're coincidentally all going for New York and Hong Kong. Go ahead, Prof. Tana, just to add on to this now, I, I, I tweeted out something else, and I'm sure I'm not sure if you covered it earlier, but it's uh, I believe it's a it's a Chinese copy of YouTube, which came out a couple of years ago, or many years ago perhaps. DoTube, which was merging with something else, and and that merger has now been stopped, right? So they're taking this whole antitrust thing, this whole data thing. This copy with this pirated copy thing of uh, what the United States was trying to do and overdoing it to an extreme in China itself. Now, what I'm saying here is there's a level to which it can be done, but they're clearly doing it to a level which is, in my humble opinion, way, 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 way too much. So in the end, my opinion here is they're going to end up damaging the economy much more than than they're going to be. Uh, uh, helping the Chinese economy. So, I mean, what, what's the rooms and, and the fears on the forum here? What's, what do we see happening to the Chinese over the over the medium term in terms of technology startups and data startups and, and, and all the good stuff that we've been talking about the, coming out? Here? More than anything, I think the thing that's going to potentially hurt uh, Chinese startups is that the, these, um, you know, very high-profile CEOs that were of tremendous inspiration to the current generation of entrepreneurs are now lying low and doing finger painting. Jack Ma, the founders of Alibaba, Hindu Duo, <laughs> that's clear. and Meituan are all painting pictures of dolphins, you know, in the corner of nowhere. And so that's, I think that's, <laughs> exactly. that's, that's going to have a little bit of an impact. Why would anybody want to get, why would anybody want to build a billion dollar, you know, multi-billion dollar business when, when that's what's going to happen to them, right? Why would you want to work uh, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week, as is customary, when 
uh, you're seeing what's happening lately, I, just to give the, the American equivalent of that, it would be Jeff Bezos, the founders of Google and Mark Zuckerberg are all, you know, resigned and doing finger painting now. It's like, well, uh, because they're, you know, the US has cracked down on them so hard that that's what they've decided is the right thing to do now is to do absolutely nothing and never not even be seen, no interviews, not say anything, no, do nothing, just stay laying low. It sends a very strong signal, which I don't know, it, you know, what we I don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing headlines now that, you know, the younger Chinese folks are laying low themselves, not just the executives. They kind of go hand in hand. Carol? Tyler, oh, can right. these Canadian companies, uh, sorry, can these, sorry, Chinese companies survive within the Chinese ecosystem? Because I'm thinking like they're, they had a large economy in itself. So do they need the Western economies at this point uh, to survive or they? Do they like do can they manage within their own border? Good question. Didi's there's a headline today. Didi's going into the UK. Go ahead, uh, Cheryl. I'm just thinking are they uh, is CCP trying to go backwards and try to distribute the wealth equally now to be a true communist? No, they are having protests in the no. rural no. areas. Hey, hey, man. When I was uh, in uh, Hangzhou a few years ago and looked at the Alibaba, I mean, visited the Alibaba uh, uh, headquarters for the first time. In their showcase, which they used to explain their activities, there were so many countries that were uh, marked as ones where Alipay had done investments, including in Paytm of India. So they've been wanting forever. And if you also look at the research literature that I closely track, they've been publishing like crazy all these companies. Chinese companies, they are having very good success in the industrial tracks of ACM, Sigmod, VLDB, and so on. And so they are eager to go abroad and ever so slowly, more of their material is being produced in something other than Chinese. And so they are definitely wanting to expand their domain of operation to be beyond uh, just the US, uh, just China. But one other thing I don't understand with all this is, if SoftBank wants to take its money out, why isn't the Hong Kong IPO good enough? Because the Hong Kong dollar is easily yeah, it should be. Um, well, yeah, convertible, I, I don't right? Know. Hong Kongers are having a hard time. Apparently, I, I don't know. They're being watched. I guess is if you do take. Oh yeah, I mean that's a separate discussion. Yeah. Freedom, blah blah blah, and all that. I'm just saying from a purely monetary yeah. viewpoint, being able to IPO in Hong Kong should be good enough for. The original but it's investors. much, much smaller than U.S., Mohan. And one more thing, I think there's also a possibility that the CPP wants to have total control of all the companies within their, like within China and Hong Kong because they can still be well, controlling now, them. Well, but if well, it's publicly listed, right, now, it'll, now be, that, more, now it'll just, be more complicated. You, Cheryl, you may have just unraveled the mystery as to why these... Yeah, it's more complicated no, no, no. because why, they have to follow the, the international why rules. Why is the CCP so interested in doing this data... Um, deep dive on these companies, they certainly are very interested to know what kinds of data they have. Because DD has way more data than the government realized. All these tech companies have way more data than the government realized. And once they realize the data they have, well, that, that, there could be some a lot of very useful data in these companies that the government didn't realize they had access to themselves. Again, they should continue to have access to them beyond the IPO also. Whether Even if the IPO... they, to, to Mon's point, I'm just, I, you, you, you keep, this is very interesting. 
So even if they, if I were just to track your thought, Mahan, you basically, it's they would still, if you're an IPO, you've got foreign investors in there, and they're, you know, you could in technically still have access, uh, but they're still, as time goes on, it's a, it's a good question you're asking. I think what it relates to is the fact that this story is not over. I think uh, we're going to find out more, and and there's clearly not transparency in what the Chinese, the CCP, and the Chinese government is saying why they want to stop, you know, these guys from IPOing. You, you're absolutely right. Because if you ask the rational questions that you're asking, you know, why wouldn't they still have control? Well, you could say, because, you know, if you've got foreign ownership, there's more risk in the future that they get compromised in terms of what they can do with these companies. But technically they can't based on, you know, the things well, you've seen more on, right? Yeah. So I, I just, I think it's the, it's just alludes to the point Ooh. that we're going to talk about this a few times, Chris, Tyler, you, a few more weeks. Yeah, yeah, Chris, you have a point. Well, yeah, yeah. Right before COVID, there was a leak on Reddit and the and the chans they're called of a database of like five million CCP members living around the world. They probably want to see who's been exposed and whose data is where. I mean, Fitbit had. I'm not trying to say that. Strava had a version of this for like, hey, look, we're going jogging in all the military bases and deployment with things. I mean, Didi probably has like a crazy advanced version of sort of that kind of data because they have a much wider footprint and they could probably extract a lot more interesting information. I think we had a visit from one a few days ago, but anyway, that's a different topic. If you zoom out, um, (laughs) and if you've been following tech news around the world, um, what we're looking at is a is reflective of a general pattern that's occurring um, on a global basis, and that is the regionalization, if not um, boiled down to countries regaining control of anything that is online and the technology stack that accompanies it, both hardware and software. And with the rise of artificial intelligence machine learning and the those who control the data, the sweet, sweet data, as Tyler like to say, likes to say, um, will be able to fuel their AI dominance, if you will. So you see this happening at a macro level, um, um, trying to reduce uh, dependencies in other um, countries um, overall. And I'm just speaking, this is an overall global trend from um, a global internet, global data pools to regional and country specific. Hey, Cami, forever Europe has had, you know, long before the U.S. worried about this sort of thing, transborder data flow restrictions and all that also in the form of, you know, in the U.S., of course, HIPAA regulations and more recently GDPR in uh, Europe and other countries have similar laws now. So I'm still saying those are all orthogonal to whether the company is a public company or a private company. That's the distinction I'm trying to draw. Why should any of your kind of points have any bearing on whether the company has foreign ownership or not? To to a limited extent, even if they want to have control, like I said, India had these restrictions long ago. And even now, for certain sectors of the economy, India still has such restrictions. And the U.S. has it. It's not like U.S. is completely, you know, uh, anyone can come here and do whatever they want and, you know, foreign ownership can be uh, even 100% and such. U.S. has its own share of restrictions, uh, especially in the, uh, I believe it's the uh, telecom as well as uh, uh, entertainment kind of sectors. And they've forbidden some 
foreign ownership uh, take over. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. And also, hey, this is Heyman again from Toronto. I mean, this is the, like, Toronto has one of the best uh, stable banking sectors, right? And we're always competing to get listings. I'm just wondering if China is just doing that. It's embarrassing for their major companies to have to go to the U.S. to list, to make capital, right? Capital will flow wherever there's, uh, like, there's a chance for 100 times growth, for instance. So why not force their own companies to list in Hong Kong or Shanghai and grow their own financial markets? I think that's a long play. I think that's what I would yeah, think would be I the long confirm, play. I can confirm, and most people aren't aware. I do my monthly events in Stockholm, as many people know. For, by the way, it'll be the ninth year anniversary here soon. Um, in Hong Kong, I was doing them before the protests broke out, and then COVID has extended my uh, inability to do the monthly events in Hong Kong. And I was doing them at the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, which is called HKEX. That's the, the main event, and it is the most prestigious venue in the entire city of Hong Kong, at precisely next to the main Apple store at the IFC Mall right in the heart of the main station um, where the train that arrives into central Hong Kong from the airport, right, right there. That's where HX, HK, Hong Kong Stock Exchange, HKEX, the trading floor, the traditional trading floor, the traditional market, which is now the stock market. It's a, an incredibly prestigious location. And I am incredibly grateful that Hong Kong uh, gave me the venue because they charged something about $30,000 to host an event there. And they, as the city was my sponsor, they wanted me to bring my monthly events to Hong Kong. And I did. And as part of doing my monthly events there, I learned quite a few interesting things about Hong Kong and China, I should say. Um, and one of the amazing things is their incredibly ambitious plan to make Hong Kong the center of China's tech universe. What do I mean by that? They have a name for it called the Greater Bay Area. The GBA, what is the GBA? The Greater Bay Area is their plan to make, the. they refer to everything from Macau to Guangzhou over to Shenzhen and then to Hong Kong. It's a bay, like the San Francisco Bay, except it didn't have a bridge, but now it does. <laughs> and now you can go across the bridge, just like the Golden Gate Bridge from Macau to Hong Kong, making a bay, which is uh, has a much bigger population than the Bay Area, the California Bay Area. It's huge, it's tremendously huge. And Shen, having Shenzhen and Hong Kong and Macau and Guangzhou all together is completely massive. Shenzhen on its own is the hardware capital of the world, bar none, nobody's even, they're one through 10 and nobody comes close, it's like, bronze, silver, and gold, and platinum all rolled into one, as anyone in hardware knows. And then you have Hong Kong, which is very unique because it's where anyone can arrive without any difficulties in terms of visas and paperwork. And they are, they are creating the greater Bay Area, just like California has its Bay Area of technology between San Francisco and San Jose and everything in between on the peninsula. They're in, in essence, trying to sort of replicate and, and, and con concentrate all of the tech activity there. And in doing so, they will also have, Hong Kong will play a critical, critical role in this with its stock market, HKEX, which is why they wanted me to do the, my, I do one of the biggest tech events anywhere. And they wanted me to bring that event, not coincidentally to Hong Kong and not coincidentally to HKEX because they really want to showcase the Hong Kong Stock Exchange as the 
grav gravitational center of the entrepreneurial um, vision of where everything ends up and as the where east will meet west where business will be done where um it's very convenient and conducive and then by the way if you do want to go into mainland china they built a train from hong kong to shenzhen which used to take several hours and now it's 15 minutes on a high-speed rail precisely because once you have your meetings in hong kong and you want to go see the factory in shenzhen you just hop on the maglev train boom you're there in 15 minutes and you're in central shenzhen in 15 minutes and you can come back you know same day so and and they also allow you to do that in terms of visas i think they give you three days uh 72 hours to go to shenzhen you're not allowed to leave shenzhen as a non-chinese but um that it's a they're clearly have a very long-term plan as Heyman is saying to make shenzhen guangzhou hong kong the center of the tech e ecosystem of china and hong kong stock exchange will play the primary focus role of all of those listings so that and by 2025 it'll all be complete well that the, the 2025 plan That's is another plan. uh separate but re related plan the made in made in china 2025 plan um which we'll save that conversation for a whole other room anyway other interesting headlines happening at the moment the again looking at the biggest ones flipkart in india raises 3.6 billion dollars uh, led by the Canadian pension plan in which by the and by SoftBank, not, not a surprise, and Walmart, who was already very much a big investor in Flipkart. By the way, you will start noticing if you pay close attention that the Canadian pension fund is starting to do some really big, smart investments. And I happen to know the person who went there from Balderton in London, who, by the way, um, was my special guest here in Clubhouse as an interview guest about four months ago when we were just getting started with tech news around the world, Harry Briggs left Baldwin Harry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. to go run a tech startup investing for the large Canadian pension funds, essentially. And it's a huge mountain of money that they have. And he's putting it into the right places in these very fast growing tech companies like Flipkart in India. That's a safe place to park some fast growing money, I would say. So anyway, uh, by the way, Monica, if, if you're still with us, you said there was some news coming out of, uh, she keeps popping in and out today. I didn't know if she was here to make Yeah, she's dropped okay. out for the moment. She's gone out like yeah. three times already. But um, other interesting headlines is that the EU says it will postpone its plans for a digital tax. Why would they do such a thing? Because they say they want to focus on their brand new G20 global tax deal, where they're now globally going to work together with a very few notable exceptions of Ireland and Estonia and one other, uh, everyone wants to tax the shit out of these big, juicy, juicy, uh, rich tech companies and do it in a very transparent way so that everyone sees uh, who's getting what out of these big tech companies and so that they're finally going to have to pay their fair share. And it does, uh, uh, Ireland notably was the one who benefited previous to this plan coming into existence and, and Estonia to a degree as well. And that's why they're kind of dragging their feet and resisting a bit. But um, other that that is essentially the biggest news is at the moment. Uh, uh, so I want to get, but the, not at all the most interesting ones, actually. But I, now I want to get into the most interesting ones and in no particular order, Apple is threatening to leave the UK. 
is the headline. Lawyers representing Apple have suggested uh, that the company uh, leave in UK. Uh, lawyers representing Apple have suggested the company could exit the UK market if the terms of an ongoing patent dispute are commercially unacceptable. UK patent holder called Optus Cellular Technology is suing Apple for patent infringement after it refused to pay license fees worth $7 billion for using quote-unquote standardized smartphone technology in its devices. Last month, British High Court judge ruled that Apple had infringed on two Optus patents relating to technology that enables devices to connect to cellular networks. Optus has also made a number of additional claims about patent infringements from Apple. Kathleen Fox Murphy, a lawyer representing Optus, commented that everyone thinks that Apple Everyone thinks about Apple as a market leader in smartphones, but Apple has to buy in most of the technology in the iPhone. Optus Cellular Technology and its sister companies, PanOptus, Optus Wireless Technology, Unwired, blah, 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 blah are non-practicing entities that hold patents and generate revenue through patent litigation, otherwise known as patent trolls. Last year, Texas court fined Apple $500 million for willingly infringing on a handful of Panoptis patents related to 4G LTE technology. Apple now faces a trial uh, in July 2022 over how much it should pay to Optus for patent infringements in the UK. Last year, the UK Supreme Court ruled that the UK court can set a rate Apple should pay for all its patents worldwide, even though the court considers the infringement of UK patents only. And now you know why Apple's saying, fuck you, we're out. If you go ahead with this and when we don't make seven billion dollars worth of profit in the uk so go screw yourself it was nice knowing you uk you can buy all of our products uh in ireland Ta-ta. so it'll, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out uh, but now apple's making it clear they are threatening to leave the uk market if they're forced to pay this seven billion dollar patent dispute uh, thank you to. If they want to really fuck them over and really be mean to them, they say we're going to shut down all the Apple stores across the UK except in Ireland, and then we're going to make sure that in, in America, we're going to make sure to essentially put in all just places that we're going to ship exclusively to the Irish distributors. It's one of those internal weird politics things that isn't a big deal from outside, but it's a. If you look at history between USA company, USA and British relations, if you ever want to see America not being nice to Britain, they, we intend to put uh, uh, Irish politicians in charge around that time frame. It's a weird thing, but it's got an interesting long, long history behind that. Yep. Um, and then, Cal, you sent in one about a company selling passports to American looking for a tax break on their Bitcoin. And it sounds like yeah, I thought it's yeah five tax havens or something. I'll, I'll yeah. pick that up. The Plan B yeah. passport offers crypto rich clients a path to a second passport in their pick of seven most tropical tax havens, all of which are exempt from capital gains tax on crypto holdings. And the company works. Ooh, in- I don't. I don't understand how this helps. It doesn't. Because I've lived abroad like you, Tyler. It wouldn't. The IRS it doesn't. If you're a U.S. citizen, definitely not. <laughs> Well, yeah. So, but it's a second passport, so I don't, I don't get it. I don't either. Okay, good luck to them. I actually, U.S. person should just move to Puerto Rico, where there's no federal or state tax. If, yes, not o- not only move there, but become a resident there is the key difference. Yeah. Uh, yes. Sorry, I meant become a resident. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Correction. Which is not easy to do, as not as easy as it used to be. They're, they're, they 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 realize that there's a lot of people coming there. You have to be there more than half the time, half the year, and there's now. They're adding more frictions regularly because the real locals um, who are real Puerto Ricans uh, 
have mixed feelings about non-Puerto Ricans coming there to avoid taxes. And so they want to make sure that you're actually really a real resident and they're adding uh, kind of loopholes that, you know, uh, kind of confirm that you're there for the right reasons. Uh, you have to set up a company there and, and yada, yada, yada. Anyway. Um, well, also, a, a lot of people seem to be confused in Puerto Rico. They, you're still subject to U.S. federal regulations. <laughs> like, you can't do stuff that you, if you right. couldn't do it in the states according to federal regulations, you're still subject to it there. So, uh, I, I'm always curious at when you know people move out there, and then I see some of the stuff produced from there, and I think it's it's not a different country. I don't, I don't know what you guys are thinking. There are, there, there are some exceptions where some companies are able to do certain things that some they wouldn't be able to do if they were based in the U.S. and they're just given a sort of corporate privilege for the fact that they are based in Puerto Rico. So there's interesting little exceptions. Pharma. Yeah. Yeah. Pharma is a great example, actually. And that's why so much pharma used to be based there. And then that got reversed. And then now they're uh, really hurting there at the moment. Yeah. Not securities, though. Yep. You're still subject yeah, yeah. to all that security. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm still two thirds of their economy for pharma. Yeah. So um, other interesting articles, ByteDance reportedly scrapped their IPO plans. We covered that one. And thank you to Cal and everyone who sent that one in. How will federal agencies make use of AI infused Super Teams is the headline. David, if you're on stage, sent in this one. You remember sending this in? And it says, I'll just give you the little, I just tweeted it out from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. You can see that Twitter account above my head in my photo. And artificial intelligence and automation will become more integral part of how work gets done in government, according to a recent Deloitte report, as federal agencies prepare for a shift to Long-term hybrid work, they're also poised to undergo another transformation, according to the recent report. Feds are about to get another teammate in their cubicles and home offices, and its name is AI. Well, this journalist is good. Oh, boy, what a... Phil Goldstein, you have got some amazing literary chops, my friend. That is an amazing setup there. Feds are about to get Bold prediction. This will never happen, Tyler. AI will never show up in the workplace. Never. I've never heard of it. What is it? AI? Never heard of it. According to Deloitte's 2021 Human Capital Trends Report, one of the key trends to watch is agencies incorporating AI agents and functions more directly into the work of human teams. These AI-infused super teams are primed to provide a more efficiency to federal workers, according to Deloitte. However, agencies heads and IT leaders will need to undertake long-term efforts to both reskill employees and change their organizational cultures to better incorporate AI tools during the pandemic. Many public sectors and organizations accelerated incorporating technologies into their team structure as a survival strategy to enable adaptability and speed. The report says, and the report sounds stupid and so does this article, so I'm going to Move, move <laughs> right Did you see Deloitte? Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> trying to pitch. Yeah, trying to pitch consulting service. They can't all be winners. Uh, but. So, so, Tyler, I think I figured it out. You know, you want to do a reverse day? Yeah. Pick the shittiest articles of the day and will you do those <laughs> ones in reverse? That sounds amazing. So, Ghana's central bank to pilot its own central bank digital currency in September calls it cash on its own, while no date has been given precisely for the launch of the digital. SEDI, C-E-D-I, the deputy governor, said its success would 
determine the next steps. And I just tweeted that out from the Tech News Twitter account. And thank you to David for that one. And David just sent in another one, which is a really fun one that we covered when we met seven hours ago about why voice cloning is not just a threat to actors, but could benefit cyber criminals too. And I actually played... It's a threat to humanity. The... um, the this article came out 17 hours ago on BBC as voice cloning technology has become ever ever more effective it is of increasing interest to actors and cyber criminals that's right now before i read this article let me just say when we met 7 hours ago i actually played a audio clip of a new technology that you can type anything you want to type into this you know system and it will read it back to you in a remarkably human voice, because in fact it is a human voice that has been synthesized um, where it can uh, say anything you want it to say, but it's be- it was based on a human voice. And so it sounds like a human voice because it is a human voice. And it would no doubt would fool lots of people if you were to use it over a phone call or even in Clubhouse. You could easily uh, do a clubhouse conversation with this voice and the majority of people would be fooled. And we're now starting to wonder if our friend from Johan from Sweden is in fact a robot. But the this article takes this idea one step further in that who's going to use these technologies? Is it going to be people doing um, you know, voiceover work I mean, as the the creators of this technology assume that it's going to be used for very um, optimistic use cases, very nice, friendly use cases. And they are uh, mistaken. They are wrong. And they're rather short-sighted because like everything, new technologies will be used by the bad guys first. <laughs> and, uh, and I have a prediction. Yes. It's going to be aggregate instead of individual. What do you mean? We're going to start seeing, and so, so it's one thing, that this is the, the, what's so powerful about these technologies. And I'm just saying, I can clone George Bush, or I can essentially, you know, clone essentially uh, some, some famous actor or something. What's going to be amazing is when you take like something like Clubhouse aggregate data and say, I have clone voice prints of a million people that I can basically have any of them talking to each other in synthetic conversations. And literally, I've got the transcripts of everything they already said to begin with. So we can just hit the replay button on all of this synthetically and alter it. Now, let's just basically hit a new version of this saying, you want to have a group of 100 people talking about X, Y, or Z? Poof, we can materialize oh. it. GPT-3, this thing. Hey, Chris, would, the would aggregate you like is to, where it gets would interesting. Would you like to do a new startup together? Because that would be fantastic. Um, Tyler, I've actually got something for you on the Coconut Beach with things. So let's talk about offline right, with things. Together. <laughs> for you I'm across uh, someone over here on Clubhouse who's been recording people, and he's been synthesizing data using Google Cloud. Hook us up. Yes, let's do this. Here's a question. Yeah. Qu- quick question. If you if you take a clubhouse room and you have someone talking on there, so you have Weinstein or whatever on there talking, and the the room is gold basically. If you take that and then modify it so all the voices are different, is it still like is it still him? Is it still linked to him? Could you claim it like if you were then to publicly sort of put it out there, would he have any um, legal right to get it removed, You're, copyrights on it. Copy, copy okay, it. here's where it gets absolutely insane. Like, here's where it gets really insane. Because of the way these algorithms work, 
you end up reducing all that complexity of the differences between all our different voices, the aggregate and collection of that reduces it in a slang called a latent space. And where this gets really interesting is one, the file sizes are freaking tiny. So this actually gets more efficient the more data you give into it, which is bizarre. It's, most things don't work like that, but AI has cool properties of this. The other one is more important though. It means that any changes you make to that latent space will come out valid out the other side. What that means is that there is interpolations between all of our voices, between all of our voice sets, where we could say, here's a, a halfway point between me and halfway point between Tyler and halfway point between Anthony and halfway between Cam, and that every single one of those can be guaranteed to be a unique voice print. So you can actually modify these in real time. Now that's not just off of the voice print and the, you know, the inflections, the voice structures and other things, which can be cloned. It's also for the transcript of the actual things itself, or the actual content said, because GPT-3 and other algorithms operate off of similar principles. Those are a little bit different, with, but they're similar principles. So what we're going to be seeing here is this bizarre world where it's not just, can you clone individuals? It's, can you basically clone the concepts at a time? And that's just going to be nuts because we're already seeing that in the early uh, prototype algorithms. And I know that each one of these algorithms that they're using for the recent ones have the same properties and they haven't fully explored that yet from a business application. Oh, Chris. That's going to be a lot more interesting when we look at the social and now, mm -hmm. and now we know why that TikTok updated their privacy policies that enable them to do a voice print and a face print of you as the user. And so they could have... Face print as well. They can take a, a face print and a voice print of you and basically uh, create your content for you based on what they know yep. people want to see. And it would be you. And they can modify it. Right. They could, they could, and if you don't like it, they'll just basically modify it enough well, to be even better. just within Chris, the hair's width they, of what was originally traceable. Check this out. So they see some new crazy new dance that's getting viral on TikTok as an example, bad example, but useful example. And they know, okay, you have followers and you have friends on this app. And we can now take this dance and the original dance was done by some, you know, masterful dancer. That's fine. We can make it appear that you are doing the dance, right? And then we have the decision based on our algorithms. Who should we show? Now we could have anybody be the dancer. There's the original dancer. Yep. And that person will be shown to whoever it's most relevant to. And then for every other user of TikTok, we can make them and show the most, uh, who would be the most ideal person to do the dance for user A, user B, user C, user D, user 50 billion, because then you're more likely to watch that video through the whole video. So if we can have it be your mom do the dance, great. Your mom's gonna do the dance. If we feel like you would actually watch the video to its completion, if your ex-girlfriend was doing the dance, then we'll make it be your ex-girlfriend. If, if it's your cat, we'll make it your cat do the dance. But the point is they can synthesize the content based on your voice print and face print and now optimize the content so that you'll be even more hyper engaged so Thanks so i actually helped fund several start startups in this space with things on the technical side with things it's actually a very small industry uh for there's like four or five of them at the time with things i, I had contact information for all of them one of the key things to remember about this is that those dances follow the same principles of when you can codify it when you can compress it the aggregate gets more efficient over time so those dance moves are just one more aspect of a personality that you can A-B test. They're one more thing. It's going to be very 
fucking difficult to regulate this according to the older versions of how much is unique, how much can you trace? Because if you wanted to, if you're not acting in good faith here, you can literally obscure things within a hair's breadth of whatever is going to be legalized because you've got, you know, 15 billion things to go from. Um, well, one other thing is a little fun thing. We, we were going to actually, uh, I was going to help one of the groups in this debut on the Jimmy Kimmel show with stuff just to, just as a fun thing. We had, we, we made some prototype things of, uh, some of the, the, the actors there essentially just dancing it up with things for late night television. We're going to do this like a celebrity, like go through a bunch of those. Uh, they ended up, uh, uh, not going with, with stuff, but we did some early tests for it. It was absolutely hilarious. I think to go along with Tyler's, uh, uh, narration, they might even then choose to show the Indian, some Indian doing the dance and some Chinese, Chinese doing the dance. Right. You know, make it more palatable along ethnic lines too. Sure. Yep. Well, they get, get, they get more specific than that. They can make it uh, uh, women for women. Get the, I mean, and they can get the actual person that they know you would be most engaged by because they see your viewing history and they say, ah, we should make it, you know, this person that we know you're obsessed with do the dance. As an example, Tyler, where this gets really scary potentially is we're still talking about a point where TikTok will say, hey, do you want to be part of this trend, for instance, this dancing trend or this product you know, placement or whatever? What it gets really worrying is when it just becomes a unilateral um, pre-agreement that you say, OK, you know, you tick a box that says um, any future trending videos that I am applicable to that my, my you know, body mass, you know, my size, my features, whatever, my gender, my that is relevant to my followers, just automatically do it. And then at that point, you're essentially signing over your your digital stuff, your your features your uh, physical identity and your audio identity to then be manipulated. And that is where everything that Chris was just saying there with the millisecond A-B testing in example, they can do that to their heart's delight and they don't have to get permission because they've already got pre-agreement. They've already received the pre-consent. Um, so then, you know, you, you, you have the manipulation that uh, they've seen here and you're, you're no, there's no longer a middleman of, of well, consent per modification. Okay, I've, got, I've got one... One, one thing, and I'll throw, throw, throw back to the room. It's real quick with the stuff. One more thing to throw in here that's important to incorporate is sensors. So here's the thing. As sensor prices become lower and lower and lower, once you figure out how to get a sensor into a, men's, uh, uh, a manufacturing process, it essentially is free minus the cost of your original R&D. So essentially, we're basically have a back generation the next 10 years of essentially sensor tech that's already getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper just by the fact it got translated into silicon and we're just paying off the price of the IP cores. Now, here's the reason why it's important. This, as the sensor tech becomes more and more val uh, more and more accurate and better at picking up that data, what's all, there's a weird function, a translation function. You're seeing this with superscaling, upscaling resolutions aspects, the core part of how the AI algorithms work. You can take crappy, noisy sensor data, and if you put it right next to essentially some really freaking amazing sensors, you can create an AI translation function for how to go from one to the other. Now, here's why that's important. It means that whatever crappy cell phone sensors that we put on these things, which are getting more advanced all the time, they will be able to perform as if you have the super exotic ultra high-end sensors on the same thing, and it will be mostly like 98, 99% of the way good enough to basically make that work. Now, here's why it's relevant for the dance moves and the other parts like that. The amount of sensor data that you used to be able to have required to basically do like a inferring AI dances, you need to do like you know, volumetric capture, you need like depth information, you need to do like this crazy other stuff. When we gain the ability to be able to detect key points in real time, when we gain the ability to basically uh, guesstimate depth and being able to basically say delete the background, that sort of thing, entirely via AI algorithms, 
it means that we're able to use really shitty sensors that are on everyone's cell phone and have them perform as if you've got a freaking LiDAR machine on the thing. It's not that it's great or it's that perfect. It's good enough to make that consumer application work. And that's the key part about this, because as fact, the sensors become more common, we have more data to work with. Hey, Chris, along those lines, um, in the AI um, uh, uh, MIPS requirement um, uh, arena, people are now, and IBM and various other companies have been working on getting away with reduced precision. It turns out all these machine learning algorithms don't require double precision, this, that. Yes. So they are going to eight, eight bits precision, four bits, two bits even. So that's one thing. The other thing I was going to point out was when Carl said what he said, that I'm sure most of you know about these generated images, which are of people who never existed, but they are so human-like. So they could use those images also to, you know, make these uh, different ethnicity people perform the dance moves that they copied from real people. Yes. And the other thing, and I'll turn it back to the group because I get really excited about this, but the, 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 the other thing to remember is that the capture time from this, when we're thinking of data, normally we think about like, you have to trace every single moment of someone's life in order to get some sort of aggregate. Well, that's just for the initial set. Once you have the aggregate baseline, the only thing you need is the difference. And that is like a hair's breadth of that in comparison. So like when we're thinking about who's going to have what data, well, is there a single photograph of you anywhere online? Is there a single moment watching you walking down the street? Is there a single data point about your health? And if you're able to basically use that as a baseline, you use an existing baseline, then basically use the other thing as the difference. It means that you're only going to be exposed to a single sensor as in passing is going to be enough to capture all this other information and get pretty freaking close. Any additional stuff for that will only increase the accuracy. But this is where the privacy stuff becomes huge because it means that ambient sensors are going to be more of a threat than the things that we basically log into accounts and financial information. Chris, you just... So along those lines, Chris, what you said is like the delta they do from frame to frame in um, videos and so on. Just talk about only the changes right. so that you don't keep sending the full frame. Yes, it's the same in, just very, very in music. Sorry, uh, Carl, just a quick point. The in music on a synthesizer you can play a performance in midi and the performance is done in data and then you can reassign the instrument that plays the performance you can have it play as a french horn or play it as a as, as, as a similar analogy there go ahead Carl. yeah something chris just said there just sent uh, dragged up a memory from several years ago where um, i was reading an article on researchers who were using the um the signal strength of Bluetooth devices and Wi-Fi devices and how that changed. And using that, they could actually triangulate, triangulate how bodies were moving through a 3D space like a flat or like an apartment. Because obviously bodies um, being 80% water do not do very well in, in allowing a lot of the um, EMF signals to go through the body. So Backscatter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you can track, if you have several devices, you can say, well, what was the signal strength at 80% of the time throughout the day? And what is it now? And then what is it now? And then what is it now? And because you don't move your house around and the walls of your house don't move around, the only thing that does move are the people. So these were researchers who were using this to basically you could track with a with a half decent consistency of where people were in the house. And then once you times that by 100 million users, uh, yeah. Okay, so we got a... That's kind of scary. Is anybody else scared by that? That's kind of scary. Well, it gets even more scary when you, uh, instead of May having your friend do your dance for you because they're the most, you know, TikTok recommending the optimal person to do the dance for you, when it's not a dance, but an ad. And so they replace 
the character in the ad as the most likely persona that will get you to buy the product. And again, to your point, if it's your same race, your same gender, your same age, and somebody you know, do you have a higher click-through rate to buy those shoes of that person who's recommending them? Oh, it, 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 it's so much worse. Okay. It, won't, it won't just be you. It'll be your ideal version that they think will basically take advantage of your insecurities. It'll be a modified version of you, a little bit more beautiful, a little bit more uh, you know, secure, a little bit less essentially like you know, yes. open for other things. It's going to be nuts. I couldn't <laughs> tell, like, like, sell that Chris, avatar Chris, so that Chris, you can I... use it in all of the metaverses and be like, yeah, this is me. <laughs> so, Chris, if, if I was going to post something of me dancing but i did an nft would that stop them from being able to manipulate the image no nope. it would at least basically say that there's at least a copy of it that exists somewhere now what about the billion others that are floating around in the <clears throat> thing in the world one of the things that's very challenging about censorship versus uh you know noise factor is is that in western governments where censorship is more frowned on there's no such compunction about just flooding the airways with every bit of irrelevant noise possible to drown out the original signal so that would be that would be a problem okay so back to the article for a second and we got to move fast here the the article says when tim heller first heard his cloned voice he said it was so accurate that my jaw hit the floor it was mind-blowing voice cloning is when a computer program is a computer program is used to generate a synthetic adaptable copy of a person's voice from a recording of someone talking the software is able to then replicate the voice and then it goes on to say you know this is great for well good and bad for voice actors because there are startups now that give you the voices of people with amazing voices like professional voice actors and it will only be a matter of time before samuel l jackson uh sells his rights to his voice to the startup so that you could then have Samuel L. Jackson say anything you want. Of course, you will have to pay for that licensing uh, to have him say that. However, you can do it on your own. That's kind of the secret dirty thing. It just, he might be able to then sue you because you're not using an, an, uh, a verified licensed version of his likeness. However, this technology uh, will, as always, technologists create solutions that they think have very limited, you know, positive use cases. And the reality is, uh, other people have other ideas in mind, and in no doubt some sneaky bastard is now going to take a voice print of the company boss and then call in the IT team and say, hey, give me all the passwords. And then they're going to give all the passwords to the boss because the boss just called asking for all the passwords. The next thing you know, your company is uh, in the headlines because um, all of your passwords were given away. Just as an example. Cal, they're Sorry, Cal, Donna here. Um, they're going to put that in an NFT. They're going to put the rights and the IP in the NFT. I'll be able to lease it. In the smart contract, it will say how long I'm allowed to lease it for, one month, six months. And the money will be paid directly into um, into his wallet. Right. So it'll go like that that's, pretty that's, easily, seamlessly, et cetera. That's fine for public use cases where you're going to use that voice publicly where they could then find it and then charge people who didn't pay the NFT fee. However, if you're, when you're doing it privately in a, in a private phone call, they would never know. And that's where the really interesting dystopian, uh, earth-shaking potential opportunities lie, which is calling up Fortune, you know, calling up Apple and speaking to the senior vice president and saying, hey, it's Tim Cook. Um, yeah, go ahead and send me over all of the, uh, everything of value to this email address. Thank you very much. It's going to get incredibly 
concerning very quickly. So we've got to move on. To well, one last thing. Wait, are you, well, are but, you just, oh, are you just talking about the voice um, using, like taking the voice that's an NFT and using that? Because it doesn't matter if you're actually using it on the blockchain or if you're, you know, just playing with it separately, although usually it would still end up on the blockchain, that the, the, the fact of rental um, of, or license of that particular thing would register. So people would know that you have it. If something went wrong, they would still know that you had it. Well, one very last thing. Five Eyes has had basically since the 1970s full take of everything in their network for the voice, con uh, voice communications. So um, fun thing about the horse slaving the barn factor. Um, so everyone that's used a digital communications device via VoIP or you know, stuff we're doing now or things over that, you already have voice prints out there in large aggregate databases. So whether or not they use that for, you know, specific spy missions or whether or not they want to use like an aggregate version of being able to say, hey, what happens if 100,000 people in all these sorts of positions got exactly this sort of emulated thing? The sort of crazy shit you can do with, with social manipulation on this scale is unbelievable. And when you understand who actually wields those data sets already, it unlocks some very interesting conversations about things like, why is USA government doesn't want Huawei gear everywhere? Why, what's up with that? That's weird. It makes a lot more sense when you start realizing these sorts of tools have actually existed for a little bit before we got to talk about them in consumer space. Okay, so other... Uh, we got to blast through a whole bunch of the best tweets that I've found just out of the past three hours. And my apologies to anyone who tweeted anything um, from three hours ago to seven hours ago when we did the last meeting. I didn't even have a chance to get in them, but I have more than too many headlines, really interesting ones to jump into here. Uh, also from the BBC, a very interesting article now that is exposing the foreigners who are quote, the quote-unquote white monkeys of China in, on YouTube who are um, basically CCP puppets uh, making lots of pro-CCP videos on YouTube, but not, not fully disclosing the fact that they are, but they've been caught doing it because they're reading identical scripts uh, that have been provided to them. And so they don't realize they've been provided identical scripts. But people who are watching these videos realize, oh, hey, you're saying precisely the same words as this other white foreigner, also who went to the same location last week. And it's a little obvious that you've been given a script by, uh, uh, well, <laughs> you, you judge for yourself. We, uh, I just tweeted out the article on the Tech News Twitter account. And it says YouTube labels Chinese state media and Russian state media. Uh, state media outlets are being now labeled in Facebook and on YouTube. However, um, this has led to uh, states like uh, to cooperate with uh, vloggers. So some vloggers are suspected of cooperating with state-owned outlets to spread China's rhetoric to the world, but it's far from clear what really motivates them. No, it's, it's very clear what motivates them. It's called the digital yuan. Or how effective this strategy is. Well, yeah, it is perhaps not effective because they're it's obvious and they're being caught but um coordinated videos have recently been appearing on foreign vloggers channels to counter investigative reports of independent media on the treatment of chinese uyghur community and what they're referring to is whenever independent mainstream media has tried to go in to investigate what's happening in jinjing because every investigative journalist on the planet especially in asia is trying to get inside jinjing and find out what's happening they're not able to because China doesn't let them get anywhere near it. And so amazingly, 
these same four individuals who have are repeatedly doing these pro CCP videos from all over China are now in Xinjiang all together simultaneously at the same time, all doing their own uh, expose video of what's really happening in Xinjiang, which is nothing, just a lot of dancing and a lot of food eating is what's happening. And they participate in the food eating and the dancing and the celebration. And, um, and harvesting of say again, Chris. Harvesting of cotton. It's one of the weirdest things. You, you, when you find one of these Chinese propaganda sites, it's it's bizarre how like the things that they, it, it's like they have to go through like brute force, try all the things to see what people respond to. They're like, we don't use slave labor for harvesting cotton. Look at our new automated harvesting combines. And it's the weirdest, it's like the weirdest thing. But the thing that's very, very, uh, a lot of people make the mistake of when you look at Chinese propaganda is you go, did people actually fall for this? Well, the thing is, well, if you if you, you can see it, that's just the first version or that's the one you're working with. The thing is, they're so methodical. Eventually, the stuff they do find, like, hey, if we take ownership stakes in Reddit and make sure the genocide posts make their way to the top of Canada, and then eventually they'll come back to Native American USA. And it's like, why are you criticizing Uyghur stuff? You've got your own history. And then by the time that hits domestically, it'll be like, oh, should we actually have a thing? And yeah, there's it's a big mistake to basically underestimate Chinese propaganda for the long-term effectiveness, just from short-term incompetence, because eventually they do figure it out. The, the vloggers and Chris brother, you, you're such a, you're, you're such a well of knowledge. I would love to learn so much from you, but honestly, if you could somehow figure out a way to summarize that and say it louder, I'd, I'd really love it, man. <laughs> because you've got so much to say, but sometimes I just can't understand it. And it's, and it's too long, bro. But I really value the knowledge. Here's the simplified, here's the simplified version for us. Uh, China invested in Reddit, and so it shapes the narrative on Reddit to the, their favor. Anyway, so the vloggers include British expatriates Barry Jones, Jason Lightfoot, uh, father and son team Lee and Ollie Barrett, who use their platforms to comment on the West's alleged lies about Chinese government policies. And and now they are they did a an interview together with BBC because um, they're now being exposed that they are a coordinated puppets of the CCP and, and all of their videos that they're creating on YouTube. And it's they're quite hilarious. And a lot of other channels are now being built in showing how the videos um, are clearly scripted and being written by the same script writers. And it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting uh, China using the YouTube is the essence of that article. We had an article when we met seven hours ago about how Chinese uh, uh, politicians are using Twitter, where they get very heated um, in shouting uh, to uh, people on, on Twitter. And then they take a screenshot of that where it's then shared inside the mainland on apps that Chinese people can use because they can't use Twitter in the mainland. And they show, hey, look what, look what our politicians are saying on this app we can't use to the West. And boy, aren't they strong and furious and sing, you know, and it's, it's, a, they're really acting in a very bizarre way on Twitter, but it, which only makes sense when you realize they're doing it to score points back home domestically. And on this point, there's a headline right now from Japan. Kyoto News says Hong Kong action hero Jackie Chan eager to join the Communist Party. <laughs> you can read it for yourself. And uh, it's, it sounds like a April Fool's article or whatever, but uh I just tweeted it so you can read it yourself. But I guess it, the headline it says enough uh, <laughs> by itself. So Jackie Chan's joining the Communist Party. UAE Central Bank plans to roll out digital currency. You can add the UAE to the ever-growing list of countries now experimenting with 
central bank digital currencies, WhatsApp faces complaint for their new policy in the EU, identical uh, to what happened with WhatsApp in India about six weeks ago, where they were changing their privacy policy. India said, you can't do that. WhatsApp said, okay, then we're just going to remove all of the key functions and features for the app users in India. India said, you can't do that. WhatsApp said, okay, boss, sorry to bother you. And we'll go back to how it was before. You're the boss boss. And so it'll be interesting to see if the same thing plays out in the UK. I bet it does because I bet the UK could figure out what happened in India. And uh, a new tool shows how Google results around the world are varied based on different geography, based on different locations. Localized results to prefer region and language. And this is somewhat similar to what we were talking about before with how TikTok and other apps in the future will synthesize content and optimize it for whoever's watching it. So that when you're watching an ad, it'll have a very the ideal person as the uh, object of the, or subject of the content. And then when you're, somebody else watches it in another part of the world, they'll have a different person. And Google's doing the same thing. They're essentially, um, giving different results in different parts of the world to optimize uh, around the world. And they give the examples in this photo. This is really interesting. So I'm tweeting this out, this is from Wired. They just happen to give the examples of searches like um, Tiananmen Square. In when you search Google from the UK in English, you see the tank man and photos of the tank man. But with results for Tiananmen Square, in China, of course, does not show Tank Man, uh, very obviously. And Google results uh, in Singapore do show Tank Man. And then on maps, they've been playing this game for a very long time, where there's lots of parts of the world that are disputed borders. And so, for example, in Israel, from within inside of Israel, the maps, uh, the lines look one way, other parts of the world, it looks another way, the line between uh, up in Kashmir between India and Pakistan have been disputed for a long time. And when you do map searches in Pakistan, it's different than when you do the map searches in from India, except yada, 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 you get the idea. So it's uh, from Wired, the article's title is, a new tool shows how Google results vary around the world and um, not just maps, it's also the search content itself and the images and whatnot. I, I... Yeah. Hey, Tyler, why is this news? I mean, this is all considered even goodness, right? That knowing your interests, showing something as a, uh, you know, something on top of the list versus something else on top of the list is all considered tailoring to users' preferences yeah, and so on. So personalized I, search. This isn't personalized. Yeah, search. exactly. Nationalized search. Yeah. NASA's vital well, I mean, personalized could include national interests also, right? right. Ethnicity, whatever. Or, sir, yeah. or, 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 Tyler, this might be, like we were talking about earlier this morning, the ability for certain tech companies to wreak havoc and cause war between nations and cause issues between nations. Yeah, well, to be, to be determined. NASA's Viper mission to map water other resources on moon in 2023. NASA's Viper mission, uh, which is this new robotic car on Mars, is now planning to map uh, water and other resources on the moon in 2023. Viper is the first resource mapping mission on any extraterrestrial body, NASA says. Just retweeted that out. Thank you for that one. 
and language lessons from artificial intelligence. Would you like to learn a language from a friendly artificial intelligence? Yes, you would. It's called Duolingo. It's fantastic, by the way. It's better than any language school you go to, and it's practically free. I've used it for multiple languages. I love it. And they're, by the way, they're about to IPO. Um, check it out. And by the way, uh, Robinhood is doing uh, the opportunity for Robinhood users to participate and require shares at the IPO price, which you might want to check out as well. So thank you to Rhonda for that one. And we covered the voice cloning. Thank you to everyone who tweeted that one in. And Cheryl has one that Didi warns of negative impact after complying with a Chinese order to remove the 25 more apps from mobile storage for violation of the data. And we covered that point earlier, which now it appears that China is actually really trying to hurt Didi because they're going not just going after the mother apps, they're going after all of their auxiliary apps, which they apparently have 25 of, which is quite impressive in its own right. And Walmart owned Flipkart raises 37, oh, to cross $37 billion valuation with new investment from SoftBank, who has invested uh, there, I saw earlier today, was it $30 billion in the past year? Jesus Christ, that's an unbelievable amount for any investor to invest. And then we covered the Evan Blass uh, 3D renders of the new Samsung Galaxy phone. And then Insider, we talked about Amazon's voice, uh, I'm sorry, the new monitoring while you sleep. And now satellites show a massive lake in Antarctica vanished in days. Within six days, an Antarctic lake with twice the volume of San Diego, which I was, I'm where I'm from, and which is uh, America's sixth or seventh largest city. Um, and so um, an Antarctic lake with twice the volume of San Diego Bay drained, uh, well, San Diego Bay is huge as well, drained away, leaving a deep sinkhole filled by fractured ice, which you can now see from a satellite photo uh, because the world is on fire. If you didn't get the memo, uh, you'll, you'll be feeling it soon uh, when August comes. Google is reportedly going to court to fight the $5 billion it was fined by the EU, is the headline. And the EU lawmakers hit the tech giant Google with a whopping $10 billion worth of fines in the space of the past three years. And now Google's appealing some of those rulings controversial what's that policy change uh, in the EU, I'm sorry, in the UK, oh, and the EU, consumer protection law um, at play and WhatsApp with their privacy policies, policies, again, it's causing problems. Should your company provide mental health apps to its employees? Is a question from Harvard Business Review. Guidelines to help your HR managers think through the decision of having your company provide mental health apps to your employees as Amazon does. And we read and we debated that point endlessly uh, because it's a really interesting topic, but essentially uh, a plethora of mental health apps are flooding the market, but there is little evidence to support many of their claims of effectiveness. And this article offers guidelines for helping HR managers decide whether to provide uh, these mental health apps to employees. It offers answers to three questions. Should my company offer access to mental health apps? What is the best app I can offer my employees to help them manage stress or anxiety? How do I evaluate the economic impact of digital health and mental health products? Um, and it's a big, interesting issue of employers dabbling with the mental health and, and health in general of their employees, as we talked about with the sleep monitoring with Amazon. But there's now hardware, like my buddy in Stockholm has a new device that you can put on your head and it helps you train yourself to relax. 
And um, you can imagine that employers might have this new little headset available in the chill out room at your um, office. And, uh, but it tracks the data and it knows how stressed you were. And so you can understand why that's, there's need for interesting debates there. And uh, we covered Flipkart, TikTok owner ByteDance shelves its IPO after warning, we covered that. And solar power to become cheaper than nuclear power in 2030, Japan government estimates. Solar power will overtake nuclear power as the cheapest source of energy for Japan in 2030 due to the latest ballooning safety measures and costs following the 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster. Thank you, Cheryl, for that one. Vogue, from Vogue Business, the Dior CEO, Pietro Beccari, talking about uh, digital risks during the pandemic. Dior has emerged as one of the most innovative luxury brands in digital marketing. And the CEO explains the company's priorities, including exploration of new channels in China and commitment to virtual try-on technology. So you can read all about that from Vogue Business. And that was a huge debate we had maybe two weeks ago about virtual try-on of luxury goods, uh, which understandably might be one of the last things to uh, be bought in the digitized market is real high quality luxury goods, especially the fit of those goods. And apparently Dior is interested in, 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 in the evolution of that. Future AI toys could be smarter than parents but a lot less protective. Mattel's Hello Barbie <laughs> and Genesis Toys' My Friend Kayla dolls are cautionary examples of AI toys threatening privacy. The Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, called COPA, is a U.S. law protecting children 13 years and younger from having data collected from them. The prevalence of AI toys on the market depends on price and consumer willingness to buy, and the headline from CNBC says future AI toys could be smarter than parents, which is I, actually, if you if you travel around America much, you'll know that's already probably already true. Uh, the bar is really low there. Yeah, the bar is quite <laughs> very low bar. <laughs> uh, yeah, but a lot less protective. And Barbie might be smarter than mom and dad very soon, if not already. But what an interesting concept I had not contemplated. And Barbie might be sucking Lots of juicy, juicy data from your kids um, about them and you. And that's a really interesting idea as well. Barbie's. Well, I'm sure this won't be misused for any psychological triggers. Barbie's going to snitch on your ass. Next thing, what what country is going to buy Barbie uh, and, and turn it into a. Turn it into an AI-driven... <laughs> okay, let, let, let's, do, let's do a poll on that. Yes. What was the question? Remember when Barbie said math was hard? <laughs> math is hard. That was it has a... to be Ken here. Yeah. Ken, oh, Jesus. He went, he went, oh. he took it there. Okay, two more. A new... Uh, with the Google data we covered, Binance is frozen when Bitcoin crashed. Now users want their money back, and Binance just continues to have more problems. More, more Bitcoin, more problems, as as Biggie used to say, right? So we have. Tyler, did you cover the Tencent streaming one? No. Oh, about the music uh, licensing? No, I I didn't yeah. find it that interesting, honestly. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it was. Or not. <laughs> we well, can... I, don't, I don't know what it was about. 
I was, I was trying to figure it out myself, so just ask. Um, well, here's one. New York Times says, after years of being a battleground, investment boom lifts Iraqi city of Ramadi was the site of some of the fiercest fighting against U.S. troops during the Iraq war, then came a devastating fight with ISIS, and now after years as a battleground, Ramadi is booming uh, due to investments, and that's from the New York Times. And drought is stressing California power grid. There you go, Carl. Hydropower is a significant source of energy for the state. In 2019, it made up about 17% of California's electricity mix. And while California is no stranger to drought, this is particularly bad. And when you look at this photo that I just tweeted from Carl, from The Verge, you're going to realize uh, we're in deep shit. It's a photo of, I assume, Lake Mead with a whole bunch of boats at the bottom. It looks like a bathtub that's now 90% empty with about two dozen boats struggling to fit into what's left of the water of this lake. Holy cow. Hey, Tyler, it rained in, it rained in Las Vegas last night. There just we so go. You know. Someone danced. Jennifer, were you dancing in Vegas last night? Jennifer knows how to do the rain dance. What room did I show is up that, in? Is that supposed to be me? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm sitting here depressed in California. It is, honestly, it's just depressing. To look out the way. Jen does we the rain dance more. She, she does the rain dance. She does the rain dance. Right, Jennifer? I, I, I'll no, do no, anything no. to make it rain hey, here. It Jennifer, is, just, it take really the, just take the credit. Well, that's right. Just take mm-hmm. the credit. Mm-hmm. Contextually, for the, for the audience, we, we were talking about this probably about a month ago, and Jennifer was going to... Do the rain dance to get some rain for California. Making so, it rain. People, so people out there in Vegas making it rain. Share the share the joke with us. Yes. Yeah, that, that's Even not that, a picture of Las Vegas, though. That's uh, That looks like uh, Lake Shasta. It could be. Hey, that's even better because we are going to Yosemite in the next couple of days after decades. And so hopefully that will lower the temperature. It was expected to be very high in the last many days. Carl just One of the fun things I realized how to do recently with floating solar is if you cover essentially hydroelectric dams, but you can also do other reservoirs and other things. Turns out you get a dual benefit of the solar generation is that much more effective because it's a lot more cooler floating on the water. But the other the big thing is it slows evaporation by like like 80, 90 percent. It's like insane. That's like exactly that. what Singapore Don't talk is any doing, sense Chris. Here. Don't Chris, talk any that's sense. exactly what Singapore is doing, Chris. It's awesome. So Carl just found a hot article from Gizmodo that Wi-Fi networks can now identify who you are through walls. Uh, Who needs a peephole when a Wi-Fi network will do? Researchers from MIT developing technology that uses wireless signals. And uh, Carl says, following on from his uh, Wi-Fi body cracking comment six years ago. Oh, is this an older article, uh, Carl, that you shared? Maybe. And uh, Heyman found an article about America's new top tech hubs. That's a tongue twister if you try and say it quickly. And essentially, let me break this down for you. Um, it says, drum roll please, the hot new tech hubs are in no particular order, not able to be read because Apple and Bloomberg got together to paywall this article, but I have a clever hack. Here we go. Boom, there it is. Okay, so here we go. No, they double paywalled it, you bastards. 
some uh, outline.com uh, yeah virginia tech shows not all college towns thrive uh, university of canvas 33 spots over the past three years um we'll have to do that one later evan just sent in one about killer flying robots what is this all about a new generation. Yeah, robots are getting smarter. And so, you know, are we going to have to uh, control these mad uh, artificial and in artificially intelligent robots? I think we're going to need some anti-AI technology to, uh, to control these things. I have a prediction. Most buildings are going to have nets over them in the future because it's just going to be a thing. Tech's next wave of development will happen in Asia is the headline from CNBC. And Singapore, some 40 million people across Southeast Asia came online for the first time last year, according to a new report from Google. And that's why we know Asia is still booming. And what else do we got? JT, what about Tokyo Olympics? Yeah, the Tokyo Olympics, um, given that they declared a state of emergency, no fans at the Olympics, they're going to roll out some new cool virtual um, content and features for fans and players to connect uh, together. So one of the things is this virtual um, wall kind of thing where people will be able to submit five second videos of themselves cheering or whatever. Um, so that's one feature that they have going on there. They're also going to include virtual reality um, content for you to be able to experience some of the action that happens during the Olympics. They're going to have a a cheer button for you to essentially cheer, and then they're going to have a little map showing different parts of the world of fans cheering through through this um, platform. So it's going to be cool. They're going to try to um, compensate for not having fans in the stands. Okay. And then who was it here? Evan, you've got this one about uh, worldwide phenomena of uh, prefab tiny homes, and there's a Singapore prefab homemaker called Nestron, judged shipping overseas, and it looks like a gorgeous shipping container is what it looks like. With a shower and a kitchen. Yeah, and, I haven't yeah. seen one of these in Singapore, but our RVs and vans and tiny homes, tiny houses are all the rage. Yeah. Either people putting them in their backyard to work from home, or even living out of them, or yeah. having a second home far away from the city, so... Interesting that uh, the Singaporean company doing this now. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch. Elon Musk just moved into one just so he could be closer to his rockets. He's yeah. just, uh, just out there on the range, you know, rocking our range in a tiny home. What more can a man want? So you've We've got... had these around for a bit now, though, right? The yeah, containers but... and, and, and various other sorts. Yeah, but but look, they're cool now. Look at the one. Ty, cue the, cue the music. We just call that a trailer park. <laughs> oh, wrong music. <laughs> <laughs> He means the other music. <laughs> Rednecks around the world are like, y'all doing what now? Yeah. Oh, oh, I see what you, this is the one you wanted. Sorry. It's a festival. That's the one he wanted. Yeah. That's the one. There you go. The problem, well, the problem with tiny homes are, is, is the zoning. Like trailer parks are literally zoned for the, you know, trailers, whereas people want to put these tiny homes everywhere and there's no water or electricity hookup or people aren't allowed to, to plant them anywhere especially in good neighborhoods, so it's getting to be a problem. Just gotta put in, Singapore, in Singapore, they house the construction workers on site with something like what you're talking about. These are like boxes. Instead of them having to be, you know, uh, housed in normal uh, expat kind of places for worker bees, they house them right in the construction lot itself. 
maybe Cheryl can expound more on it. <laughs> I'm not sure I've never visited them, but uh, to be honest, container houses is a big thing in Japan too, and it's pretty fancy and quite nice actually. Yeah. But you just buy land, and then they just buy very nice fancy container house. Yeah. If you want good ventilation, you buy those uh, used, uh, what do you call that? Air conditioned container? No, air conditioned. It's like a refrigerator container. Then mm-hmm. there'll be more uh, insulation for winter. Right. It's quite interesting. The insulated one. Right. And you could get that yes. thing down to freezing, actually, because that's what it was designed for. <laughs> frozen. Yes. More expensive, but it's worth it for yeah, winter. It's insulated. Yeah. But the point is looking at the one that Evan sent in. The Singapore design, it's clearly a shipping container, but doesn't look at all like a shipping container. They rounded off all the edges. They made it incredibly stylish, but you can plop it onto the back of a truck, just like a ship or on a train, like a shipping container, and which makes it easy for delivery. But it's a really clever idea to really modify a shipping container to no longer look like a shipping container, but in reality, that's that's the basis of it. Yeah, but... Tyler, if you go YouTube, you can see a lot of such content. It's very yeah. nice. I've been looking at it for a while because I was thinking about such. Yeah. Before the shipping crisis hit, you could get them delivered for a couple of hundred in the UK, um, depending on access to your property. And they're really good for if you want to do outhouses or summer houses and that kind of thing. And it's a yeah, it's a huge thing of modifying them and putting in windows and everything like that. And, yeah. yeah, and also they are, they are converting double-decker nice. buses too, by the way. Double-decker bus, the old double-decker London bus. It's actually quite nice. Schoolies. Yeah. Um, some smart aleck might some smart aleck might say for the parents in law to be housed in. So new- Well we can uh, sorry. No, just, we can only hope that as we downsize, you know, and as these do look good, you put some solar panels on it, take care of figure out the water, that we uh, you know, that we can reduce our carbon footprint, right? So and it, this could be a great solution for homeless, you know, the homeless problem, you know, which we have at least in the United States. I mean, Los Angeles spent over half a million dollars a house, you know, to uh, house homeless. So this is seems like a great idea for a lot of things. Yep. Um, Heyman, are you doing the News Canada? Or did he go? He's already started. Already it. started. He started. So, uh, already. We, I've got a headline yeah. here. New firm. And and the crypto started too. Yeah, the other room good. started so, too. So there's a crypto room because yeah. now we're at the top of the hour. And there's the new a new firm offers a chance for tech workers to get U.S. gigs while staying in Canada. So you get the best of both. A new Canadian company with island roots is bridging the gap between Canadian workers and American firms in need of talent called Jawbark. And we will talk about it in Heyman's room, which he just started. And if you're into all of the crypto news, Ben and Alexandra and Donna and Ramin just started the Monday blockchain news. Uh, so follow the Tech News Club and, or me and Cal and others as we're going to head over to uh, the Monday blockchain news and the Tech News Canada room, which I'm not sure it's open. Is it open, Heyman? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Oh, it is there open. it is. You're right. It's open. Okay. So yes. we'll see you all over there. So thank you, everybody. You. And we will see you See tomorrow. you in Canada. Bye. Yeah. bye. See you. Bye. See you, guys. Woo-hoo.